This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by our good pals Dead Meat and they're also lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling and this episode today is brought to you by a very amazing board game set in the world of wrestling. Our main man Nathan over at ndpdesign.com has only went and made an amazing tabletop RPG called World Wide Wrestling. It's a pen and paper tabletop game that also plays very well over video chat available as a physical book or a digital PDF slash text files. Gameplay focuses on building feuds and telling stories in the ring and the mechanics tell you how well your wrestlers impress the crowd, get over and advance their careers. This is such an exciting concept. There are nowhere near enough board games in the world of wrestling and take it from myself and Joe who love a good old whirl on the old D&D now and then, there's nothing quite like a bit of role playing and wrestling is perfectly suited to it. You can get the soft cover version or the PDF, all of it is available at ndpdesign.com. That is ndpdesign.com. Check them out. It's an amazing project. Nathan's put it all together himself. The second edition just came out last year. There's never been a better time to get your eyes and ears all around the worldwide wrestling RPG available now from ndpdesign.com and hey if you'd like a little shout out at the start of an episode of how to wrestling you've got a product a project a thing a podcast a blog whatever it is you're passionate about and you want to get in front of our fans why not head over to patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling any and all information there or send us an email how to wrestling at gmail.com but for now it's time as i've often heard it said to back it up because it's time for a bad man it's time for how to rikishi friends and welcome to the episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and you may look fly today because we're looking all at one of my all-time favorite wrestlers we're looking at rikishi today oh once again it's me your old pal cowboy kevin joined by my dance partner in this podcast it's Joe Graham. Hello. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm really good, thank you. I'm excited to talk about Rikishi. Why are you excited to talk about Rikishi, Joe? Because I really enjoyed bits we've seen. Yeah? Yeah, he was unexpectedly good. Unexpectedly good? Yeah, I just feel like, you know, in the grand scheme of episodes, I hadn't heard much about Rikishi other than the fact that he dances and does the stink face. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'd never really heard he was a good wrestler. Really? So yeah. you just kind of knew him as the dancing man who had things to do with his bum? Yes. Okay. So I kind of, like, had really low expectations going into this episode. And also the fact that, like, our tweet that we did for mm. Rikishi, it didn't get, like, spread as much as, like, other episodes. Which, again, I was like, well, that makes sense because he's the guy who does you know who does the dancing and then sits on people and so. in fairness as well following up eddie guerrero is no end of your yeah. and if you at home were thinking do those folks at how to rest and pick big wrestlers and then slightly less grand scheme of things massive wrestlers afterwards 
Yes, we do sometimes. A special sticker for paying attention in class. <laughs> for seeing the vague theme that has developed yep. these past six or seven years. Uh-huh. So, Rikishi, before we, we, we settled in and we watched any of it, did any of our research, watched any matches, you said you knew him as a guy who danced. Is that just because of, of Dan's lovely artwork? Or what was it that you, you'd seen of him beforehand? I hadn't really ever seen him dance, I don't think. He hadn't shown up in episodes, had no, he? No, but like no. I just know he dances. It's, just, it's a known thing. Yeah, right? it's like I mean, I've, th- I've seen clips of it. Like, okay. You know when they show on WWE, they might like, <laughs> like I swear there was a bit with the Usos once where like, and they are Rikishi's sons, and then they showed a clip of him dancing. I was like, there we go, and like doing the stink face. It's like that's that's him. So this is Big Dancing Man, as, as far as you were concerned when you first heard about Rikishi with the big bum, with the big bum, the big smelly bum. <laughs> now uh, he did actually appear. I, I do believe. It was on our Patreon we were talking about, as we always do, the pay-per-views of WWE, which we've been reviewing all the way since 2016, SummerSlam, if you could believe. So there's actually, we just passed our 100th pay-per-view review episode over on Patreon. Wow. You can access all that for $5. But I do remember when Roman Reigns first came back as his new tribal chief, head of the table character... Do you remember Rikishi's involvement with that at all? Not really. I know that he was there. They had like a video, didn't they, of like the Annoy family? Yes. And then they kind of like interviewed. I think there was the the guy, the head guy from the Head Shrinkers. Uh, the, the Wild Samoans. Let's oh, not, okay. let's not confuse or vaguely <laughs> or vaguely very wrestling uh, stereotype tag teams from right. back in the day. So not Affa then. It wasn't Affa. No, it was it was, it Affa, was Affa from but, the Wild Samoans. Right, but he wasn't part of the. Head Shrinkers. No, Head Shrinkers would then have been what Rikishi was part of as a tag team, which was, in many respects, a wink and a nod to the Wild Samoans, which I would have see. been would a have tag team from way back in the, the early 80s and whatnot. Right, okay. So yeah, I remember them bringing out like a bunch of these like Samoan wrestlers to talk about how Roman was the head of the family. But they didn't really do anything, and they didn't really show many clips of them, I don't think. I, I do remember it was after he won the title, and this is during the pandemic era, folks, so forgive yeah. us all if we all have completely, willfully erased it from mm. our memories. But I do remember that like a bunch of them all came out on stage. I don't think Rikishi was there, and they gave they gave Roman like you know the, the traditional uh, flowers and stuff after his match's victory. And they did include Rikishi, where they, were, where they had like a clip where they were talking about the table. And he was like, even from a young age... Roman Reigns, six years old, knew he was the head of the table. <laughs> ah! And that was kind of the first thing I wanted to ask you because it's a really interesting story, this, the story of Rikishi. And absolutely not typically the story that you might think it is. It's mm. far more from that, hey, it's the dancing guy who seems to have spun off an entire world of fetish videos online. Wait, what? More on that in a little second, Joe. Is it because of his bum? Maybe. Maybe. You've been reading the TMZ headlines again, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I saw he called out Kim Kardashian. <laughs> well, she apparently, allegedly, has nothing on his fat ass. It's true! <laughs> he has the fattest ass. But the Annoy wrestling family, we've talked about some you know, dynasties in wrestling before, yeah. at least of which, I'm sorry, the McMahon family. Yeah. But as Cody Rhodes will have us know, wrestling has more than one royal family. We've done episodes about the Rhodes, the Hearts. We've even talked in our last episode about the Guerrero family mm-hmm. and the legendary wrestling families those all are in their own very unique ways. Yeah. The Annoy wrestling family. Who do you know who's part of it? Like, what is it that you know about this group of wrestlers that seems to... Honestly, every time I find out who's in, I'm like, oh shit, them too. How about that? I don't know if... Because I can make an educated guess. Please. But I am worried 
that I have bought too much into kayfabe. And I know that WWE is really bad for being like, oh, you're from Samoa, therefore you must be part of this particular wrestling family. As long as you don't list Paul Heyman as a member of the family, you won't be part of Is he Samoan? Well, no, because he's part of the fucking bloodline, Joe, isn't he? Oh, I see. That's not... He sits sits adjacent to the head of the table. No. I just mean in that, like... I mean, I don't know if it's even true, but I feel like quite often they'll bring in like Islander wrestlers from like Hawaii or Samoa or, or other island from, like, nations. The Pacific, yeah, from the nations, Pacific, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then they will just be like, yeah, that's that's The Rock's cousin now because we've <laughs> decided that because we want to push them. I mean, but, in fairness, you know, you might think, oh, we you'd be very harsh on WWE for assuming that. But like wrestling, uh, we've talked in several episodes about you know, people being given fake siblings and all that. Yeah. You know, Arn Anderson is kayfabe Ric Flair's cousin in case anyone's forgotten about that little juicy nugget from yeah, back in exactly. the day. Yeah, exactly. They love to do that. And there, but the grace of God, he could have been rambling Ricky Rhodes, <laughs> your own brother we, we always had that in the back pocket but yeah so i i know a lot of people are supposedly in the annoy family because a lot of people as i said are supposedly related to the rock so i know obviously roman reigns i love your healthy wrestling skepticism where you're like there's no way these ads are all related to the no, rock i'm not saying that it's, it's possible because i know that like wrestling it within families does kind of penetrate the whole family yeah and it's like, it's a hard thing to kind of get out of because it's, I mean, it's already such an insular industry. For sure. That yeah. I think once you have a foot in, in that door, you're like, fucking yeah, I'm going for it. I've got the contacts. Why why wouldn't I? So so you can confidently say, you know, that The Rock is in this family. The you, Rock? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's related to Roman Reigns somehow. He is, yeah, they're cousins. They are actually they're cousins. actually cousins. I thought for a long time that was just a Vince McMahon thing because it's like, they're both Samoan and handsome. And it's oh. like, therefore they're cousins because I like them both and therefore I want them to be cousins because they're both my, my main boys. Like. Um, I know the Usos, definitely. Yeah, they're Rikishi's children, actually. Yeah, so Usos, yeah, I know yeah. they're Rikishi's children because I know he didn't go to... Jimmy's wedding or yeah. Jay's wedding? I forget yeah, which one. Yeah, he didn't go go see the the, the marriage. That was a, a a hot topic of discussion for many years yeah. because we watched Total Divas in this household, aka real wrestling fans. Yeah. Spitting hot truths on a podcast. Exactly. So yeah, we've got The Rock, Roman Reigns, The Usos, Rikishi. I think some of the other names that you may be less familiar with. That's the thing. I'm, I think I'm getting to the point now where I don't know like them. Umaga. That's, is that a name that you've ever... <sighs> I've heard of him. You would have very long... We did an episode, Jesus, just about six years ago. Yeah. A little bit less that, that, that featured him. He would have been the guy who wrestled on behalf of Vince McMahon when he took on Donald Trump in the Battle of the Billionaires. Oh, right. Umaga versus Bobby Lashley. Yeah, okay. Lindsay, if you I, remember re- that. I remember that. I know another one as well, Nia Jax. She's yes. The Rock's cousin. Yes. I wonder if she's actually considered part of... I guess she is, yeah. This is wrong with cousins, right? Yeah. Take it from a lad from Ireland. The word cousin is thrown around very fucking liberally sometimes. That's the thing. In certain cultures <laughs> as well, like you might refer to someone as a cousin or an uncle or a brother because you spend a lot of time with them as family, but they're not actually blood related. And she, I don't she know is, if that's... Nia Jax is definitely related to Rock, so she's part of the Annoy family. Yeah, I, yeah. I no, she definitely say, yeah. is, yeah. There's actually another big name, and actually, and I do mean it literally, big name. Yeah. Uh, big in terms of his name is actually a large name, but also a very large large man and someone who I believe we may have seen once or twice on pay-per-view classic but he's not he was never presented as being Samoan on screen oh I was going to say like Yokozuna yeah, or, oh right okay Yokozuna, yeah. yeah which is hilarious for me in many ways because Yokozuna was always meant to be like the evil Japanese yeah. man who came over and the dude's from Hawaii like you wow. know <laughs> but like 
you know, with Samoan heritage and the, the WWE always presented as being Japanese, but then like in later years when they would have, you know, spots involving people from the family, you'd have certain commentators mention like, oh, Yokozuna, a member of the legendary Inoue family, which in kayfabe is a bit of a head scratcher. Yeah. Because he's meant to be you know, Japanese. Like Japanese, that is confusing. Oh, and there's a, I'll say for the Inoue wrestling family, which is quintessentially, you know, it is the Samoan wrestling family. Samoa, you know, being an island nation that is principality of the United States. I would go further than that and say it's like, it's the wrestling family now. Yeah, I mean, in terms like, of... The most identifiable, the most famous, the most well-known. the most Yeah, the, the one with the longest legacy, I think, as well. Because, yeah. like, a lot of wrestling families, they had, like, you know, they, they've been, you know, they've maybe got more generations of wrestlers from years gone by, but it's like, well we don't most people haven't heard of those people whereas like from the Annoy family most people even if they're not wrestling fans have heard of The Rock oh yeah or and like, I mean you, our main show at the moment you know the Usos are a huge part of it in WWE you can yeah. look over to your know, Major League Wrestling and onto the Indies you know there are sons uh, you know they're, they're the next generation of Annoys are out there that's the, so cool the Usos younger brother is in NXT developmental yeah, at the moment so is The Rock's daughter and she's yeah. training at the moment as well so yeah I mean and like the fact as well Blade Hart get your finger out is what we're yeah. saying yeah <laughs> but also the fact that I feel that WWE have really embraced the Annoy legacy as a storyline which yeah. I don't feel they've done that with any other family in quite the same way like it's just such great storytelling and it really like it just makes them feel like a fucking big deal. Like they really are like the wrestling family. And in many respects, it's it's a, a family that you can kind of... And Rikishi's career is almost you know, emblematic of the family as a whole because you, when you talk about wrestlers that came from you know Pacific nations, be it you know Tonga or, or Samoa or even you know, Hawaii and whatnot, you know, places that were kind of slightly off the mainland of, of the United States of America, you don't need much of a history lesson to assume about wrestling how it would portray you know these island wrestlers and it was as savages mm. you know the idea of, you know look at the names of the fucking Samoan savage you know the Samoan SWAT team the head shrinkers you know oh, the wild Samoans oh god but you know that maybe defined them in that those eras yeah but I would look at you know the Usos and then the next generation of you know Annoys or Fatus or whatever mm. go these guys are absolutely not defined oh, by yeah. those stereotypes they've taken those stereotypes well, and like, like kind of flipped them on their head almost I mean this is a really complicated issue and I certainly don't want to seem like I'm defending um very stereotypical gimmicks for people who genuinely are islanders because i'm not but like it's even more ridiculous when you have someone like rikishi who is like portrayed as this islander character who grew up in california isn't yeah, it san francisco yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so it's not even it's like that's where the person grew up necessarily like it's not you know it's not the type of culture they may have been surrounded with for most of their life, and yet it's still like a stereotypical gimmick that is given to them, even though it's like literally got nothing to do. Well, with I mean, you them. say you say that, and you know, Rikishi would have been, you know, he born in San Francisco, he he lived in the projects, right. you know, he, he grew up poor and he grew up in a pretty harsh environment. So yeah, you know, wasn't growing up on like a, a lush island paradise, but you know, even though he was American by birth, you know heritage Samoan heritage particularly in the Inouye family was always incredibly important yeah and throughout his career and everyone who's involved in that family you see everything from the tattoos they do these like trips you know back to the homeland where it's you know they they get the tattoo done by the tribal chiefs and stuff like that has Rikishi got the tattoo I don't know if he does I don't think he does but like you know he 
he in his own way you know he you know lots of things that he would do like you know the the flowers or like the chilies you know the kind of the traditional dress and the garb and stuff like that so there was constant nods to it i guess it's just one of those things where in wrestling there's not many examples of you know groups of people being given fucking lazy stereotypes or whatever and they've managed to weather that storm and kind of embrace that it was, you know, a big part of wrestling in some respects, but move past it, mm. you know? And I don't think, like, a lot of wrestlers haven't been that fortunate. And I think it always is, from my mind, comes back to with the Annoy family, that they were just such great characters and great wrestlers. And also, as well, like, very savvy businessmen. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people we've mentioned, you know, great wrestling families who felt like they're at the shit end of the stick a lot of the time. And these are a family who have had people who've been on top you know, the top per- people in wrestling and also training several generations of wrestlers to come, not just members of their own family. Yeah. Rikishi's an interesting one because he is in many respects kind of a journeyman. His his career is quite a long one and his stardom only came, you know, later on in his career, maybe in his late 30s and whatnot. And the path to his stardom was definitely not typical. And I think a lot of times when we're looking at his career, there's some frustrations there, the path's not taken. But let's get into his into his career and his backdrop and talk about the man that would become Rikishi. Because we said he grew up, we watched some videos of when he did a character that went back to these places. He grew up in like, you know, quite, quite severe poverty. You know, like he, he grew up in a very small house. A little detail that made me pop as a Trailer Park Boys fan. The projects where he grew up in San Francisco was actually called the Sunnydale Projects. What? Which is uh, pretty amazing. But, you know, I remember seeing the videos, and I think you and I watched these together. I was just seeing, like, where he was walking around. He's like, this is the house I grew up in. And it's like, you know, doors kicked in, spray paint everywhere. Like, you know, he properly grew up hard. But that doesn't mean that he didn't have, you know, a nice childhood or anything like that. Because he spoke in interviews very vividly about, you know... Being such a big wrestling fan at the time, mm. he was into you know wrestling at high school, you know amateur wrestling and stuff like that. He would, and this is so cool, he would do break dancing outside the Cow Palace, which is the the famous wrestling arena in in uh, in San Francisco where all the WWF shows used to be on. And him and his friends, his b boy friends, would do b boy b boys break dances. Joe, Aww. they would do little bits of break dancing to get enough money to you know grab a ticket to Aww. go and see the wrestling shows. That's so industrious, isn't it? Right, use your dance like yeah. you know. And I just think it's really cool because you know that dance that the man busted out later on in his career. You know, that ain't a classically trained dancer. That's a man who fucking danced to get his wrestling tickets back in the day. Okay, real dance, real dance, proper dance. Yeah. I just like to assume that he put out. A small square of cardboard. I hope so. And he'd fucking bust a move on that right there. And as we all know, wrestling fans love to watch this man dance. So that's obviously, you know, worked very well for him. But he was doing well in high school in terms of the wrestling. It seemed that, you know, there was an obvious career path for him. His brothers were kind of similarly getting interested in wrestling. Age 17. This is shocking now. I knew that he was involved in this, but I didn't realize the age. Age 17. Drive-by shooting. What the fuck? He got shot several times in the abdomen, which... What? You know, you don't need me to tell you that's not where you want to get shot. Oh my god. You notice he has on his sternum, there's kind of like a... He's a, got a, a scar. I thought, yeah. I thought he'd had heart surgery. No, it's it's from the surgery he had to have god. from the shooting. Now, obviously trying to find out about a drive-by shooting that happened in, you know, the, the 80s or whatever yeah. is, is, is difficult and all that. And obviously he doesn't want to speak a great length about it. The few details I know is that he wasn't, like, involved in gangland activity. He was literally caught in the middle, just yeah. a passerby. You know, he was just a guy walking on the street, yeah, and yeah. these guys sw- swung by to get someone else, and he got caught in the crossfire. 
he died for three or four minutes on the operating what? table. 17 years old, mind. Oh my God. So he, he's dead on the operating table for three or four minutes. He has to stay in the hospital for around three months afterwards in yeah. intensive care, you know, to recover from yeah, the shooting. Yeah. And then afterwards, his... And this is like... I swear I'm not making this up because it sounds like it's an extreme wrestling version of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. But his mother is scared for his well-being and sends him to his uncles, Afa and Sika her wow. brothers to oh train him to like you know catch up with your older brother go train just get him into wrestling i know it says a lot about you know where you're growing up where and the situations you're in you know and what's yeah. going on around you where getting into the fucking wrestling business is like such a safer bet mm. and i think we saw this before in like a roddy piper episode wrestling as fucked up as it is is often a safe haven in a really weird way for, for Absolutely. certain folks and i think especially if you've already got family in the business because they will look out for you like they just will because yeah. they know it's tough and they know it's really really horrible to newcomers so it really does help to have someone there who's got your back i mean we say a lot of people you know he grew up with his friends and stuff like that the people he would have been you know, dancing with and going to wrestling shows with when he was a teenager. You know, a lot of them got involved in drugs and crime and, you know, a lot of them died young and spent time in prison, stuff like that. So, you know, he got out of, you know, a different type of life, I guess. But his his advantage in that situation was the fact that, you know, he had very, very famous world-traveled, well-renowned uncles to train him to become a wrestler. So he starts wrestling as a tag team with his cousin Samu, and they're put together as the Samoan SWAT team, which is such a fucking cool name for a tag team. The Samoan SWAT team? Or the SST, Joe. (laughs) Did they wear SWAT vests? No. They, they, they kind of tried, I saw some clips of them from back in the day. Yeah, they wrestled in, you know, in, in Texas and wore a class and places like yeah. that. They rest kind of like the, the Usos used to dress as, you know, before the Usos got their kind of newer gimmick, essentially. I was shocked when I saw footage of the Samoan SWAT team in the early 80s. And far from being the savages from the scary island nation of Samoa... They were fiery baby faces. Oh. And they were taking the whole idea of like, well, the wild Samoans, let's take that kind of look and presentation, but we're really good wrestlers. So instead of just being scary guys, you know, let's be fucking kick-ass baby faces. And that was in like 1985. That's pretty cool to think that even back then, you know, because a lot has been put on the Usos about how they kind of redefined it and kind of changed what that gimmick meant. But they were doing it as far back as the 80s. Yeah. And then Vince McMahon sees these guys and their cousin, Yokozuna, and is like, right, I want to sign these guys all up. We'll make the big lad a Japanese sumo wrestler. Mm. And you two guys, the Sloan SWAT team, you've got a new gimmick, which is the Head Shrinkers. Mm. <laughs> so this takes us to our first match we did, which I was very excited to show Joe for a variety of reasons. This is from WrestleMania 9, a.k.a. WrestleMania Caesars Palace parking lot. It's the Head Shrinkers taking on the Steiner Brothers. Why are they called the Head Shrinkers? So, I think it's going for some of that voodoo nonsense that Vince McMahon likes to, to, to lead into. I think implying that because these men are from Samoa, they are going to shrink the heads of their opponents... I hate how historically inaccurate that is. Yeah, Vince has maybe just seen Beetlejuice recently. Yeah. He's got in his head, he like shrunken heads or something like that. <laughs> I mean, when we let's just talk about the presentation of these guys first and foremost, then we can get into the, the nice set dressing that we have here. Were you surprised to see the man you knew as the dancing dude be the kind of prototypical Samoan WWF wrestler, I guess? I mean, 
not really. I assumed he'd had a character like this at one point. I was shocked though at just how much like the Usos he looks here. I know, facially here. Facially, he looks... I mean, there's one point, I think, it's either at the start of the match or when he gets first tagged in where he does this like kind of smiling, waggling tongue thing. Oh yeah, it's right at the start. Yeah, it's yeah. It's so charming and it's so much like something that the, the Uso brothers would... The Uso twins would do. Because you know, obviously later in his career, Rikishi would dye his hair blonde and his mm. goatee blonde as well which is funny because like it was when we were watching stuff later on you were like that man's got a blonde goatee kevin i was like oh yeah he that's really yeah it's, it's weird but you see him here and he kind of like he he rep, he looks so much like his son's here yeah, it's he crazy does. and i think that maybe moving away from the black hair which a lot of other guys in the family had was probably a good idea to make himself stand out mm. But the body shape is completely different here. He, yeah, absolutely, he, yeah. He is not the 400 or allegedly 400 pound man that we would see later on in his career. No, not at all. No, he's um he's a very different shape, yeah. Still got a bit of a booty though. A little bit. I guess so. I didn't... You know, it's funny, I didn't notice it in this match, but I think it's because of what they were... I was just staring at the man's ass for like all yeah, these... Yeah, I bet you were. <laughs> he, uh, I can't... They weren't... It wasn't... The outfit wasn't really showing it off and i must admit i had lots of issues with these outfits i don't know who whose idea it was that the head shrinkers should wear harnesses with metal rings on it yeah it's Looked weird like... they've, they've got like this kind of snm quality yeah, to them there. like they were going to a fetish party the samoan sex team is yeah. what they were dressed up as didn't, here didn't like that vince mcmahon loves the wild samoans gimmick he just right. he just does you know i think it's something that was... did they have the fetish wear not the fetish wear they would have you know the the crazy hair and the kind of you know the the kind of the floral pattern kind of designs and stuff like that when they would come out you know we have afa in the corner he's got like the big rain stick which is kind of like a giant kendo stick basically to make noise i think part of it maybe in my mind is because this was a tag team that originally you know the the the, the wild simones had been booked by vince's father and i always thought that was something that vince you know that was one of his things from his dad's era that he he kind of wanted to preserve yeah. almost and vince mcmahon you know he clearly cares enough about this gimmick but i don't know if he cares enough about the guys who are doing the gimmick because even though these guys are both samoan dudes it feels like they're playing dress up a little bit here yeah like no, this definitely. isn't really who that like they don't seem like mean dudes you know no they seem cool yeah and <laughs> what a great team to put them up against Young Rick and Scott Steiner here. We got a little chat with Mean Gene beforehand. Mean Gene, who's in his little Caesar Roman outfit. He's so cute. <laughs> Gladiator, remove your helmet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so WrestleMania 9, I think we saw... It was either the Luna episode or the Sherry episode, because there's the brawl between those two. But this is a WrestleMania you like the look of, you like love the it. theme of. Love it. I love how shit it looks. It looks like <laughs> a panto stage. Like it's just painted by amateurs. <laughs> like you gotta go see like something that was put on by like a local theatrics group, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. Like an, an epic. Amdram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so everyone is dressed up in the Roman gear here, but of course not the Steiners. The Steiners are straight up in their, their regular Steiner presentation, which is colourful wrestling men with slightly higher pitched voices than you remember. <laughs> Old Rick Steiner looks pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. I don't think he ages. No, he always looks the same. I like that about him. He's consistent. But Scott Steiner, uh, almost unrecognisable in his own right here. He's in his 
early form of Scott Steiner, where he's got the long hair and he's slightly less buff. Am I got a slightly higher pitch voice like this? Not quite. It's more. <laughs> I sounded like Jerry Lawler. I don't want to do it myself because yesterday I tried to and I gave myself like a cough. <laughs> you know what I mean, Gene? We want to go out and do this for Julius Caesar because they're, they're, they they dedicate their fight to Julius Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, if you are going to dedicate it to a historical figure, fair enough. Yeah. You know, Julius Caesar might might be doing it. Uh, the head trigger's coming out, and there's something about this fucking music. They use this, like, so many times. I guess it's because I, I've seen so many guys be brought in who are from, you know, not necessarily that family, but, you know, from the kind of brackets, island nations, or whatever it is. And they gave him the fucking chirpy birds and the bamboo fucking percussion and the. Mm. I don't know what it is. It feels like, like it's low energy. Like it doesn't suit the explosive nature of yeah. the guys you're about to see. Definitely. You know what it is. Mm-hmm. But they got a big old stick and they got Afa in their corner and they have a special pre-match ritual because of their strange culture that none of us in America could ever understand. They did a little like little thing and they all got together and they all went wah. Oh, it was nice. Did a little, a little wah before a, they... A team wah. Yeah, uh, whatever it was, it was to provide protection against the Steiner brothers. We need that. Yeah, it didn't work. No. <laughs> the charm did not did not pay off here. And look, we got young Steiners. We got young Fat 2 here, as Rikishi is known. Where everyone is young and shiny, but not as young and shiny as young Jim Ross. First night oh, on the job. He's got such a high-pitched voice, and he's like hiding his accent, so it doesn't sound like him at all. It sounds like Jim Cornette. Oh, he really doesn't want Vince to know he's from Oklahoma. Yeah. Bobby Heenan, on the other hand, he's like, this guy from Oklahoma 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 what the hell's yeah. a slobber knocker every time Jim Ross has an opinion Bobby Heenan's like but you're from Oklahoma you can't have an opinion you have not lived as you've heard the young Jim Ross be like well basically Bobby a slobber knocker is a physical contest between two people who are very hard hitting and it's very exciting and that's why I think this is a this is, a, this is what we call a slobber knocker in Oklahoma Bobby what the hell does that mean that, that sounds disgusting Jim Ross <laughs> And we also, as well, have young, shiny Bill Alfonso. Oh, yeah. Without a whistle and with some teeth. So there you go. Oh, yes. And his ref form. (laughs) This this match is amazing because you've got, like, two very hard-hitting teams, but hard-hitting for different reasons. But what really, really, really stands out is that old-school kayfabe, I guess you call it, the hard heads of the Samoans, which I'm yeah. sure we've talked about before. But, you know, it, it stopped the flow of this match once or twice. You were like, what's going on? Why is he stopped? And I was like, oh, it, he's done a headbutt, hasn't he? What, what is your understanding of the, the, the Samoan head, as WWF and Vince McMahon like to portray I, it? I don't know. There's a moment where Afa like, makes Fatu and Samu headbutt each other to make them stronger. <laughs> For uh, fuck's sake, lads. I don't know. I think... I think because there's a moment on commentary as well where like Jim Ross or Bobby Heenan or someone talks about the thick craniums of the head shrinkers. Put the calipers away, lads. Yeah. Put out the phrenology textbook, please, for the love of God, I'm begging you. Like. And it's such a shame because like, I love the idea of like a group of wrestlers having a particularly hardened body part from like years of training. Oh, yeah. Because I think we had that in the... 
Remember the Dusty episodes that Kim, yeah. the Korean wrestler he took on? His elbow. It was, yeah, it was his forearm or his elbow. It, yeah. And he, he, they show at the pool smashing uh-huh. like full cans of beer with it. Yeah, they weren't like, because he's Korean, therefore genetically he has a strong forearm. The it's damn like, Koreans and their forearms. Yeah, it's like, no, it's, he's trained really hard to get that way. And it's just like, it's such a shame that they've turned this like nice idea of like, yeah, they've got an advantage over these other people into... Yeah, it's because they're ra- It's because we're racist and they've got small brains. <laughs> they don't have uh, thin, normal skulls like the rest of us. Yeah. I mean, there's so many easy ways that you can kind of... You can say these guys are so, like, fucking... You know, they get so uh, hyped up in a match and after it gets them in such a, like, a... Uh, like a war state or whatever it is mm-hmm. they're, ah, they're all you know, hyped up so much that, that they can smash their heads into each other and then use that to psych themselves up that's I guess slightly less racist than you know duh. they were born with thick skulls because yeah. they come from somewhere else yeah and I, I wonder now like does it feel like you know Rikishi did that for many years as well it's something that you know, Maga did as well like, it was only in the last 10 years I think that like Roman Reigns is the guy where yeah, you would never see that from him. Has someone headbutted Roman Reigns and he and him like no solo? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. What about The Rock? No, The Rock never did that. Yeah, that, that's so weird though, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's just beneath them. It's it's shit. It's just one of those things where it's like you know, it's the closest to WWE. Like certain spots and elements of kayfabe in this match reflect the cultural shortcomings of our tiny pea brains that we had at the time. Why can't they make it into like a heart thing where it's like, yeah, if you're a member of the Hart family, you've learned how to do all the stretch holds from Stu. I was like, say, if you're of the Hart family, you've got a really strong heart. Like <laughs> you know, chops don't affect you. No, just like the idea that like if you're from the Annoy family, you've like you've been trained by you know generations of wrestlers who have like told you secret techniques to hardening your head so you can be a tougher opponent like that's so much more cool than uh joe i don't need to go to the annoy family i don't need to go to samoa i went down to salford keys i saw ken shamrock's ted talk i know that the only thing you need to do is just take more chair shots on the forehead right that is what makes it the hardest part of the ring sorry the 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 skull yeah yeah that's how you train yeah (laughs) right we need to talk about the moment in this match where scott steiner (laughs) nearly fucking dies they go against the ropes, and this is hard hitting stuff. Like for you know the early nineties, you know this is you know the tail end of the Hogan era. This is like this wouldn't have been out of place other than some of the kind of cultural stuff we've mentioned. This wouldn't be out of place in a modern show. Oh yeah. But there's a part like where they hit against the ropes. Scott is being kind of lifted up by Samu, and then Fatu is like pulling the ropes down. I think mm. he's got to like bounce off it or something. But the ropes go down too low, and Scott Steiner just goes sailing. Right through. Like, proper. I mean, I wish he was through. It's fucking straight over. It's like <laughs> doing a big Roman Reigns dive at WrestleMania or yeah. something. He lands right in his fucking head, and he gets up straight away, like, because, you know, Scott couldn't live with the embarrassment of anyone thinking that he was a mortal man. Now, surely, <laughs> Scott and Rick Steiner, if you're going to talk about people having naturally thick skulls... Right? Like, there they are... <laughs> Genetically, I am positive they have thicker craniums than the average person. Yeah, and also as well, it doesn't work because there is a point where Samu runs into the turnbuckle and goes over and acts, he does like shoot his head off the turnbuckle. Oh, no. and you can see he's like, F- oh, fuck. And it's like, all right. Oh, no. It doesn't work then if that's your kayfabe when he actually gets his bell rung. Then yeah. you're like, oh, what's happened here now? There was like, some of it genuinely I couldn't help but laugh at though. Like, Fatu poking his head out old Rikishi there and he's like come on give it to me and he has his head through the ropes for the other wrestler to go like yeah and like use it like you would a foot or a turnbuckle <laughs> it's just the visual of it where he's like yeah 
hit his face into mine. It's just so fucking silly. Something I wanted to ask you about, um, Rikishi here and his partner, you know, Fatu and Samu, they're both wrestling barefoot. Oh, yeah. And they're throwing out super kicks left and right Mm -hmm. and all sorts. What are your your thoughts on the old uh, barefooted wrestlers? I'm fine with it, so long as they're fine with it. Yeah, we've we've had a lot of wrestlers who used to be barefoot who then later go yeah. on to wear shoes. They learn. They learn. Yeah. Handsome Rusev slash Miro being one of them. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think I think for some people it's preferable, but then other people it's not. It just depends on whether or not Vince McMahon was like, you have to wrestle barefoot because you're from Samoa. I mean, I wouldn't want to wrestle barefoot for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons I wouldn't want to wrestle barefoot, and it is regarding to probably the fifth or sixth reason why I'm not on my list, that's a hard old mat, and I feel that walking yeah. around barefoot on that would be slightly unpleasant on the arches. Yeah. You stopped and paused like three or four times in this match because the lack of give on the wrestling canvas. Yeah, it makes a horrible sound. And when you've got the Steiners throwing mm-hmm. around big boys from Samoa, and it's not even wobbling the ring, good God almighty. Yeah. Uh, some poor choices of words here when they refer to Fatu as being bulletproof several times. Oh no. God. I wouldn't want that being brought up, you know, if I was him. Did they know at this point? You know, what, a, what a figure. It's like, yeah. what, where's the big scar on your chest from? Like? Yeah. Although, shot. <laughs> I've got a big scar on my head and no one ever asked me about that, assumedly out of politeness. Yeah, maybe that's it then. Or because it seems boring, you know, whatever mm. it is. A couple of great lines here from Bobby the Brain Heenan. First and foremost is Jim Ross is talking about the great high school and collegiate accolades of real-life great wrestlers, the Steiners. Brain is like, no one cares about high school sports, Jim Ross. There's no money in it. It's just a bunch of kids. He's right. <laughs> I mean, it is. And also, in retrospect, it made JR seem a little weird to be going yeah. on about high school sports. Yeah. And also, at one point, he implied that Jim Ross went to prom with a bull. What? Uh, yeah, because he was like, uh, Oklahoma... You all, uh, you all marry uh, farm animals there, don't you? So I assumedly, on the back of that, Jim Ross, you went to prom with a with a male bull. Uh, Poor Jim Ross. You know, it's not a nice day on the job. Keep no. in mind, his other broadcast colleague, do you remember who was on this? The other commentator? Oh, yeah, it was Macho Man. He was uh, distracting, is the nicest thing I could say about one commentary. I don't remember much of what he said. I think this is the point in the evening where he's like, People aren't reacting when I say anything, so I'll just wait until there's a lull in the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Hot dog to the Rick-faced gremlin. And it's, it's Rick Steiner, he gets tagged in. And my God, I, I didn't think I'd see you popping for Rick Steiner clearing house, but this 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 uh, tickled your fancy, I it love, seems. I love Rick Steiner so much. What's about Rick that you're, you're enjoying so much these days? I just, I don't know, I really like him. I just, I liked Scott Steiner as a wrestler. But I feel like Rick is Scott, but better. Ooh! Like, he's got a better look. But better! He's, I think he's, like, so a better, better wrestler. better behaved. <laughs> I don't know, I mean, I guess better behaved, slightly. But, like, I just, I like his look more. I like the way he talks more. Mm-hmm. I I like his wrestling style. Like, the fact that he's, like, you know, because Scott Steiner here is, like, the, the slightly weaker of the two and then you've got well I mean no, that's just how the match is booked that's though, true because no, like, Scott gets worked over yeah and Rick right, is the know. hot tag yeah yeah and just the way he clears house is like this little you know he, it's so perfect the way people call him like a little goblin dog or whatever because he is like <laughs> little goblin dog I don't know what they call him yeah they, and then they chant LGD LGD <laughs> it's Joe it's the dog faced gremlin right okay well anyway he looks like a little dog <laughs> 
And the way he just like runs around the ring, just like, <laughs> yeah, knocking everyone down. It's it's cute. I like him. I think a, a Rick Steiner episode. I love that. That would be, a, I know we did cover a bit of Rick in the Scott episode, yeah. but that was so many years back. And I mean, his property portfolio alone has changed so much since 2015, <laughs> Joe. Oh my God. He... <laughs> He runs wild, and there's kind of a moment where he accept, he refuses to accept that the Samoans have got this kayfabe hard head. He keeps hitting them in the head over and over. He keeps headbutting them. <laughs> there is a spot in this match which is, you know, honestly, even for 2022, you consider it eyes bigger than your stomach. We have Rick being put up on the shoulders of Samu, mm-hmm. and then Rikishi, Fatu, he dives off the top rope uh-huh. to do like kind of a clothesline, and he catches him and kind of? Does a belly-to-belly suplex off of the man's shoulders? Kind of, and twists around so then Rick has the pin. It's fucking incredible. It was incredible. If it had been done correctly, which I feel I have seen that done correctly more recently. I'm trying to think you People have done stuff. It? Oh, you know what? It's Jungle Boy in a recent AEW pay-per-view. Yeah. He's doing a lot of cool stuff. With we Luchasaurus, were yeah. Off the shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I guess it works a bit better when you've it's got... not Fatu, yeah. Not, yeah, got, not Rikishi. These, just, I think it's all three men are just fucking big hosses. Yeah. You know, 300 pounds in there about doing these crazy fucking you know, lucha moves, essentially. We get lots of Steiner lines, and then Scott hits the dreaded Frankensteiner to pick up the win at WrestleMania from the experienced team from Michigan leaving the wild Samoans with a bitter taste of defeat in their mouth. I should say, the head shrinkers, leaving them with the bitter taste of defeat in their mouth. How did you get on with this tag team match, Joe? I loved this match. It was really great fun. I gave it four stars. Four stars? Yeah, I, I loved it because the head shrinkers were really great wrestlers. Like, they were really energetic and really powerful and hard-hitting. And obviously the Steiners are awesome, you know, pretty much any match it's nice as well to see the, the Steiners against opponents who seem like they can handle them that's it because I think we saw before way back when we did a Scott episode it's like not that they were necessarily bullying people although I'm sure they did that you know plenty of people who would have attested to that fact but just when you got wrestlers who you know can kind of put that little bit of extra sprinkle of hard hitting snugness or whatever you want to call it potato sprinkles yeah and just these are two teams that are kind of like iron sharpens iron almost, yeah. you know? And I just was amazed watching this match back. And I'd seen it before and I always was a fan of it. I was amazed watching it back just how kind of modern it seemed. Yeah. 1993? It's amazing. It's really, really cool. So I was going to say, oh, it's 20 years. It's 30 years yeah. ago. They're throwing super kicks every yeah. day. Fucking A, yeah. So you enjoyed it then. I loved this match. This is great. Yeah. Fantastic. So after this match, the... The Head Shrinkers did get the Tie Team Championships eventually when they were teamed up with Captain Lou Albano, who's another kind of figurehead from back in Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon's Father's Day. And it was kind of, they, they made them good guys, and the idea was that it was kind of like, meant to be like a feel-good moment, that kind of the next generation of wild Samoans got the tie titles. But Samu had a series of injuries he was dealing with, so that ended up rotating him out of the group. They brought the warlord in, I found out, who I didn't realise was Samoan, but whatever, he was a head shrinker, or should I say, a new head shrinker. And uh, brackets, a little side note here, if you are a wrestler and want to take any advice from wrestling podcasters, the one thing I can tell you is, if you're in a tag team and you put the word new in front of it at one point, it's probably best to leave the territory. Yeah. You know? That's when Cody knew it was time to leave AEW and they started calling it the new nightmare family. He's like, all right, it's time to write it <laughs> on the wall here. So he's taken off TV. They don't know what to do with him. And they bring him back. They repackage him because this man is not just 
a wild Samoan or a head shrinker. No, as we talked about at the start, he's got a real life story, something that people want to hear about. And that is why he fell upon Fatu to make a difference, Joe. (laughs) Tell me about these vignettes we watched. What was the vibe? What were they going for? What, if anything, did they accomplish while making a difference? So Fatu, a.k.a. Rikishi, he's, he's gone to San Francisco where he grew up and it's fucking grim. But he's wearing a really nice jacket. He's in a really big car it's as a really well. big car, yeah. And he's going around and he's basically cussing a promo and saying that, you know, drugs are bad. And when he was in school, like, all of his friends were, like, cussing about and, like, cutting class and stuff and saying, like, man, just take drugs. It's, you know... It's great and sell drugs. It's so easy to make money that way. And he was like, no, I'm going to stay in school and become a wrestler. Just say no. Make a difference. Yeah. Be, uh, oh, what was the other one? Uh, do the right thing. So he yes. said, do the right thing. Like, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I look back at these types of vignettes and I go, these are very well-meaning, aren't they? You know, Very of the time. Ve- very 90s. I, I, I remember honestly, growing up and seeing these constantly. Absolutely. Like, you know, and like, go and check them out. They're all on YouTube. Fatu with an F, make a difference. And like the synth, you know, it's it's like fucking streets of Philadelphia. Like, mm-hmm. like him walking around, like you're shaking his head at like, you know, the garbage in the street and stuff like Demolished that. Demolished properties. I, I, I do like these things where it's like, hey, you know, he's trying to make a positive impact. He's reaching out to the old community. And, you know, you see him, like we saw the Eddie Guerrero documentary, like the big wrestler coming back to the hometown and shaking hands with people yeah. in the street. It's, it's a nice vibe. But there is always with that 90s just say no Ronald Reagan style of drugs are the worst sin that humanity has ever committed. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit finger pokey, a little thing. Oh, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, these fucking idiots living in this shitbox behind me here, mm-hmm. they they didn't do the right thing. Like, me, why didn't they all become famous wrestlers? Yeah, instead they're all criminals now, which what? is obviously their fault because they, they took uh, drugs, if obviously. Only they did the right thing, Joe. Yeah. If only they did the right thing by having a wealthy, famous, successful wrestling family that they could move in with. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing as well, is like, Fatu, I feel really bad for him in these bits because A, yeah, he does have a door in. He is part of a famous wrestling family. Yeah, he had a privilege that other people don't have. And like we've talked about it ad nauseum on other episodes of this over on the Patreon. You know, we've gone back to 2016, we're talking you know, 2015, Charlotte debuting on the main roster. We talked about this at length and you know, Nia Jax as well. People labeling folks coming in to have a family connection as being like, well, you have family connections, you had the easy ride in. And, you know, that that is true. It's an yeah. easier ride. Mm-hmm. But that At mean, least on the way in. On yeah. the way in. But, you know, don't, don't take it for granted whether or not you want a vaccine. It takes a lot more <laughs> than a family member giving you the, the entryway in the door. Mm-hmm. You know, plenty of wrestlers have had offspring who thought they could get an easy ride in and absolutely didn't. Mm-hmm. The Bella's brother never made it to NXT, Joe, is what I'm saying. Did he really want it hard enough, though? So it's this bad mix of like a dude who has kind of a, a door in and a, and, a, and a leg up but also he's not really that big of a star right now you know <laughs> he's kind of you know i would have feel like they had to have people kind of go he's, he's fat. he wasn't the new head shrinker yeah, who's he was, that guy who, who is he i recognize him no he's not in the new head shrinkers anymore did he used to work at the corner shop no 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 he was in the simone swat team I and swear now he's I've seen him Oh. We've given him a new jacket. I will say though, it was the breakdancing kid outside Cow's Palace. Hey, That's why I've seen him. He owes me five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did like the the rebrand though in terms of the look, the big fucking colourful jacket. I love it. It looks so fucking cool. Fucking brilliant. Yeah, iconic. 
it is almost shot for shot identical to something that Joe and I have seen on our pay-per-view classique series recently because around Christmas time because Joe and I are really really intelligent go-getters wait no this is your fault you insist on doing what? world bodybuilding federation we threw you that don't you remember Gary Stridham did exactly the same goddamn thing he did yeah and he he did it slightly better, I think. More of a budget behind well, the, him. The thing with Gary Stridham is because Gary Stridham has no home. Yeah. And also he did it topless, I think. <laughs> he did. And he did it in a bigger car. So Gary Stridham walked around and they had actors go up and be like, Yo, dog, yeah. who are you? I'm Gary Stridham. I believe in apartheid and also don't take drugs like I clearly have. Yeah, and do. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the World Bodybuilding Federation and I'm steroid free. Sure thing, pal. Yeah. yeah. Sure thing. Right, yeah. I just wonder if that what happened to you with Fatou is that you know, oh, Gary Stridham's already been around the neighbourhood. Mm. We've already shook hands with They're actually guy. both there at the same time and they've booked out the same space. They have to take it in turns. <laughs> He's talking about, you know, remember where you come from. You know, that's the most important thing. And then he says that while he is in a big Cadillac. He's like, this is this is Fatou saying, remember where you came from. Now check out my ride. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. I can kind of already see why it didn't work, but also thinking that it did have potential. I don't know how it's supposed to be a whole gimmick. Like as an introductory, here's this guy, fine. Like, but where do we go from here? Where do you, how is that a character? Like, well, <laughs> that what he just continues to do is just say no to drugs, kids, and just hangs out in Fran- San Francisco forever. So you're you're struggling with the storyline here. That's interesting because Vince McMahon and the rest of the creative team clearly struggled with the storyline because we watched the storyline inverted commas, which was the young man Fat Two wants to make a difference. Comes out, he wrestles a few you know squash matches, takes on some jobbers and superstars, and all of a sudden, hey. He's moving up the ranks. And, you know, not for nothing, this guy in the series of matches that we saw him on, Superstars, he wrestled Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mankind, Triple H. He also wrestled Bret Hart for the championship as a, when he was in the tag team still. Wow. And uh, these matches were unfortunately overshadowed as the young, well-meaning Fatu had demons and ghosts from his past show up, Joe. Oh, right, the Samoan Mafia. <laughs> I was waiting for it. You are like, look at me completely blankly. What are you fucking talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah, these guys. It's so weird. It looked like the Blues Brothers, but <laughs> not. I, I thought they were dressed up like your know, classic Undertaker, where you had like, yeah. the, the, the mortician's tie. Definitely a bit like that as well. It looked very silly. It was just these two goons basically standing around, and they didn't say anything or do anything. They just were there. They kept showing up in his matches, and the oh, announces. sorry. At one yeah. point, they like talk to Fatu, and they're like, "Hey, man, the." You, drugs it's so good literally you're like backstage and going come on man do the easy thing yeah. and Fatu's like what they're not clear on what it is they want him to do something to do I with drugs I want to do the right thing but like, come on I'll do the easy thing I don't know if they want him to take drugs or sell drugs he, he's, they said and I quote come on man let's do the easy thing and make some money up in this yeah. So I'm thinking they're like going to sell drugs to wrestlers. Like, I would you know. love that as a storyline. It would never happen, but I'd love that. Fatu's just sitting down going like, look guys, I want to get rid of all the drugs in the community. But Vince McMahon is like, <laughs> but I sell drugs to the community. <laughs> Are these guys actually have a name? It's not the Samoan Mafia. Okay. It's the Samoan Gangster Party, Joe. Is it spelled with an A? You damn straight it is. <laughs> the Samoan Gangster Party, which I looked up, that's Samu, his former tag team partner, made a return. 
He was he's, he's the other member of the Head Shrinkers. He's the, the the main man, and the dude behind him is Rosie, who would later be involved in Three Minute Warning. We were Eric Bischoff's oh, guys, yeah. and he would also be a, a, a hur- the Hurricane superhero tank team partner. So two two members of the Anoy family here. Huh. So they are Rikishi's actual family. Yeah. So they approach him, then they show up in another match, and Vincent Man's like, "What are these gentlemen doing here? Interrupting Fatu's match when he's." Clearly trying to make a difference here, Mr. Perfect. <laughs> and then they just never do anything. Like yeah. We watched like eight segments of them showing up and pointing. Yeah. One segment of them saying, come on, let's go do drugs. Be cool, Fatu. And then that was it. The gimmick it. Story's over. Oh, and also as well, the gimmick is cancelled. He's no longer Fatu make a difference. So we assume the Samoan gangster party had their wicked way <laughs> and took him away from him, superstars and had him back doing the wrong thing. Oh. I feel bad for him, Joe. Yeah. This is kind of, like, if you go invoke the fact that you were shot at age 17, which I can only imagine that's a traumatic event. Yeah, dying at 17, I'm sure is quite a traumatic event, yeah. You get a bit of the old PTSD from that. Probably, like, yeah. I just think, you know, I'm not saying, oh, never use anyone's real life stuff in wrestling, but if you're going to use something as traumatic as that, like, have a fucking end goal. Mm. Like, I would have warmed my heart to see him beat up the baddies at least. Yeah, that would have been nice. No, nah. didn't happen. They did go on to wrestle in ECW for a little bit, the, the Samoan gangster really? party. So, you know. Paul Heyman eating Paul Heyman the bus boy hastily eating the uneaten lamb chops on the plates that have been brought back from Vince McMahon's <laughs> table. But don't worry, Joe. We're gonna take him off TV. We're gonna repackage this man. Who, by the way, is in his fucking thirties at this point, and you've seen in a match already. He can go. He's a good. Oh wrestler. yeah, he's awesome. We can't figure it out. What will we need to do? The Samoan man. We've tried being racist. Yeah. We've tried making fun of the fact that he was nearly murdered as a child. I've tried nothing positive. I'm all out of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> what would you, if you're Vince McMahon right now, and I don't want to use that phrase too often because you're one, you're one Vince McMahon Im- impression away from turning into the man. No. <laughs> you're with me. That's good. Uh, how? What would you have done with you know? Ideally with with Fatu right here right now no it doesn't work because of the time like what I would do wouldn't work then alright what would you would, what would you would have done ideally if time was not a factor I would have had him kind of be like Roman Reigns as he was like six years ago but make him really sexy oh blue eyed battling no <laughs> not blue eyes no 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 I mean I would have like kept Rikishi's hair long and black mm. and like had him kind of wear like um I liked the little the little shorts that he sometimes wear with the tassels mm. that he sometimes wears yeah, as Rikishi yeah. later on as well I like that look and I just have him like hair blowing in the wind smiling being a hot hunk you're basically just like booking like a, a dream Samoan hunk that's yeah. all you do is like he's like Samoa Joe and Roman Reigns yeah. and Rikishi and, and he's handsome and, and he's cool and he's a good wrestler and then you want his hair blown in the wind yep. as well right we'll uh-huh. book that for Raw Vince that's good yeah well, that's good to go no Joe that's a stupid idea obviously you should make him an Arabic sultan instead no. obviously did you think I was joking when I showed you his new gimmick the sultan yes I thought you were showing me someone else. Like, when... Have you written down Red Oz? 
<laughs> I was building up to that. How dare you? Sorry. He is he's red Oz is how I was gonna describe him because he does have a bit of a um a wizard vibe about him. He's yeah. got big puffy wizard pants. He, he has it. a pointy hat like that. Also as well, they've given him some serious fucking like doing on the hair. He's bald, he's got that fucking tight ponytail. Mm. Like he is almost unrecognizable. Yeah, he, he has is, yeah. That kind of shredder face mask on him yeah. as well. I hate it. There's so many different gimmicks going on here. And it's clearly designed by someone who's never seen a sultan, never seen a wizard, but has maybe sorry, maybe seen a photo, like a drawing of a wizard and gone, that's that's a sultan, right? Or vice versa he's like, a fire very... mage Joe that's what he clearly is so confused and you know what they clearly it's... have never seen fucking Rikishi you know either you oh know? yeah because this guy is like if you if you see Rikishi and the many things that he can do let's cover him up but like why would you give him like this gimmick and it's like it's like someone playing like an MMO and then they've just like wearing the armor that's most powerful and it <laughs> doesn't match and it's from all different sets and dlc and it just looks like shit i think this is very very insulting for a number of reasons obviously you know not too many instances particularly back in those days of arabic characters in wrestling you know and if you were going to get one it probably would be portrayed in a very crude and negative way but jesus christ the dude's from fucking samoa It's more than a flight away from anywhere remotely close to the Middle East now. Come on. Not even remotely the same race. I just love, and we reviewed this, you know, the the match that I showed you from him, which is him and The Rock at WrestleMania 13. We reviewed that right at the start of season four of the Ashiara podcast. And we were just so overwhelmingly confused because this is one of our favorite dudes, Rikishi, from the Ashiara. He's one of our, our standout MVPs. And you've got like Bob Backlund and the Iron Sheik. Mm. Like, that's a lot of heavy lifting. That's two very oddball, loudmouth people to put in a man's corner. Very weird, yeah. And they would, like, have a promo where the Rocky, you know, Rocky Maivia is like, I'm going to make my dad proud. I'm going to take on the Sultan WrestleMania. And then you'd have the Sheik come out and be like, I tell you, Rocky Maivia, no good jabroni. And then Bob Backlund is behind going, indubitably, Iron Sheik. Like, they're shouting all over each other. And the Sultan's there like, Oh, don't make me wear this, please. Mm, He's got the Iron Sheik's music. He's from uh, Sudan, allegedly. That's where they claim he, he comes from. What, so. the character of the Sultan? Yeah. Okay. I mean... They may as well like, have made up a country. <laughs> from, from Sultania or yeah, something like that. Yeah, like, if you're going to do... Oh, it's just shit. It's just disrespectful to everyone's cultures. All right, here's one question, though, because... I think I've told you before, and I mentioned this podcast, you know, a big thing that dragged me in, I think it was on a Russo episode we talked about it, a big thing that dragged me in as a kid yeah. was seeing, like, Mankind and Kane and these kind of masked, weird, colourful characters, Vader and stuff, and they go, whoa, look at these guys, they look like superheroes and stuff like that. Do you think a kid might have seen Red Oz, old Sultan here, and go, wow, look at this guy, he's a evil genie? No, because how would you draw him? <laughs> it always comes back to can a kid draw the character oh shit you're right because like Kane Mankind okay yeah. they have details and stuff but a kid can still draw it and be like their parents can be like oh it's the wrestler you like well done <laughs> you draw the sultan like no one can even remember what he's wearing it's like I think he's got a pointy helmet on I don't know it's, it's a mask that would make even us in the height of the pandemic going like alright mate a bit much yeah like, you know, come on now it looks like you know Dyson got that new special mask that like, sucks in the yeah, air around exactly. you and shoots out a protective orb yes. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. he's got that so sultan lasts for couple of months i'm surprised it was that long it's so bad yeah i mean the highlight of it was you know he got a match at wrestlemania that was really just to put over the rock 
you know, get dressed as cousin at WrestleMania. That's cool, I guess. Right. And he wrestled Undertaker on Raw for the title at one point as well. But, you know, he was just a just a baddie to beat up, really. And I think it was kind of insulting to do that to someone who is, and I will admit this to you, Joe, now, this man was a member of the BSK. What's that? The Bone Street Crew. What's that? You ever notice the Undertaker's got a giant tattoo in his tummy that says BSK? No. It's got big letters around his tummy that says BSK. I don't think I've ever seen him topless. Oh, no, you definitely have. Have I? Because, yeah, most of the matches that you... By the time you start watching regularly in 2015, and by then every match Undertaker, at the end of it, he'd be like, boom, take his top off. Yeah, but he's so old now and saggy, you can't really see what's written on him anymore. Well, it used to say BSK. Okay. Which stands for the Bone Street Crew. And Undertaker was always very much like, oh, people, you know, wearing sunglasses. You know, oh, people are you know, never going to know who the Bone Street crew is and what we all about. It's just a collection of black men and gentlemen in the locker room. That's all I want to share about that. And it's kind of, whoa, whoa, yeah, there was the click, right? We know about the click. Yeah, obviously. You know, they're all cool or whatever. Kevin Nash and Triple H, whatever. The Bone Street crew, right? Mm. You're talking Undertaker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're talking Rikishi. Okay. You're talking Yokozuna. You're talking the big fucking boys. Okay. And what these lads would do, yeah, for the business mind is they would meet backstage and play dominoes, which Aww. are colloquially known as Bones. Aww. So the Bone Street crew is just a bunch of lads used to play dominoes together. I like to imagine as well that they played it not proper dominoes, you know, where you have to match up the numbers, but like fun dominoes where you like line them up and then flip them down. <laughs> well, you imagine the, the BSK are setting up like Rube Goldberg machines. like <laughs> No, not, not Rube Goldberg machines, just like elaborate domino tracks, you know, where you flick them down and yeah. You see, Undertaker, now that I got the Domino Express, it's a little car that will drive along the table and place the dominoes so we can do it right. <laughs> you didn't have Domino Express as a kid, did you? I've never heard of that. A friend of mine had it. It was a little, a little, you stacked all your dominoes up in it. It would drive along and it would place them down one by one. So you just sit back and watch a big, long line of dominoes get That's set up. That's amazing. Yeah. And then you do that and go, oh, this is not a very active activity. They're just sitting watching a little car and they need to knock over the dominoes. Yeah. You know, it's probably for the best the BSK didn't get their hands on Domino Express. <laughs> so here he is now. He's after his one, two, three, I guess four rebrands if you count the new head shrinkers. You know, this is a, a man who everyone respects. He's a very good wrestler, mm. you know. You don't just let anyone in the BSK. And here he is now. It's, you know, tied in. He's got another, he's got an injury again. You know, he is sent off. This is the thing that was really shocking to me. In 1998, he was sent off to Dory Funk's training camp. Oh. You know. Yeah, Terry Funk's brother. Which is like, you know, where they sent like the young lads or the guys off the indies to teach them how to wrestle. That's where Kurt Angle would have went, for instance. Yeah. You know, when he first came into wrestling. Mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of insulting that a lad who had like at that point nearly a 15 year career. Yeah. It's, oh, well... You, you obviously, something's not working. For fuck's sake. It's, it's obviously on you, mate. You yeah, know? it's not us with the Sultan gimmick and everything. I'll say it right now. I, I've had some issues with the way the man has perceived himself in his career over the years, Rikishi. But I will say, having looked into it a bit more with you, it's a miracle he's not the most bitter motherfucker in the I know. universe. If that were me, I'd be like, fuck this shit. I'm going to become a car salesman. Yeah, right. No, thanks. The, the Sultan <laughs> car sales, like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I just think 
it's worth bearing in mind like the patience of this man yeah you know because he's been given fucking dog shit after dog shit after dog shit also like the lack of ego i know because right? like, i don't think i have a massive ego but even me i'd be like he's serious you're sending me to training like wrestling training school and i like learned from affa like i know he, he literally learned from one of the best in the business yeah like a legend <laughs> yeah come on you know it's in his blood and, like I, i've told the story before like you know when i was a kid i would be like i want to be a wrestler for like half a second and then i was like Oh, they'll just make me a fucking leprechaun or something. So I was like, I, I, like, I immediately abandoned my daydreams of being a wrestler because it was like I didn't have confidence in the booking style of wrestling. <laughs> Even as an eight-year-old child, I was like, nah, they just do this. But Jesus Christ, it could have been worse. They could have made me into a stereotype of another country that I didn't even God. have an association yeah. with. Like poor Rikishi. Like I bet Rikishi when he was going like. You know, as, as a youngster training, going, oh, no, they'll make me a sultan, an Arabic sultan. Yeah, of Sudan. Like, if, if you said that was the genuine worry you'd had, they would have told you you were a fucking psycho or a weirdo or, mm. or, like, just too worried for your own good. But he comes back in 1999. He had, you know, some nagging injuries he took care of. The new name is Rikishi Fatu, and he's a big fucking dude. He's put on a bit of weight, mm. but he is moving as fast as he ever did, if yeah. not faster. And the very, very first thing they did was they put him in like an angle with the Hollies who were these two guys crashing hardcore Holly who claimed that they weighed over 400 pounds because they were <laughs> super heavyweights. And the initial gimmick with Rikishi was that he's like, you guys aren't heavyweights. I'm a, I'm a fucking heavyweight. I'm 420 pounds. And then Bob and Crash would be like, yeah, you're just fat though. And he did this promo at a pay-per-view where he's like, I'm out here tonight to show all the fat, healthy people of the world that they don't need to put up with bullies. Wow. And then he goes out and he like fucking kicks the shit out of his ass. He needs squash everyone. Oh my God. Like, I feel like it would never happen now. Right? Like, we have Otis, like, a, what is it? Two years out of a fucking eating gimmick because he's fat. Like, yeah, oh my no, he, God. He's still treated as a bit of a joke because yeah. of it, you know? But that was like, you know, I remember as a kid being like, what? Like, this is weird. This is silly. Because you know, you're, as a as a fan, as a kid, you're not treated, you're expected to do anything other than laugh at people. Yeah. You know, who, who have anything wrong with them because that was the style of the time, I yeah, guess. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the fact that he really kind of had this, you know, initial impact as being this like powerful, fast, athletic big man. Yeah. Who was on a bit of a mission to prove naysayers wrong and all that. And I thought that was like a really cool thing for them to do. But that very quickly gets sidestepped because. Just through happenstance, they happen to stick them together in a, in an angle very quickly where this floundering tag team called Too Cool, who we will do an episode on separately, it's Brian Christopher, who's Jerry Lawler's son, and Scott Taylor, Scotty Too Hotty, they end up, you know, with this gimmick where they're these two B-boys who are like, you know, white guys who love dancing and all that. And it wasn't meant to be a good guy thing. Jim Ross like, look at these fucking idiots. <laughs> and it was meant to be like a playoff of the fact that, you know, a lot of white kids at the time were, like, dressing up like hip-hop stars and using a lot of the language that was used by, you know, uh, <laughs> by black rappers and hip-hop artists. And as someone who went to an all-boys school in the year 2000, let me tell you, I saw a lot of awkward fucking shit and even more awkward clothing at the time. But it was meant to be, like, a playoff of that. These two idiots, they think they're cool, you know, cool dudes from the streets and there's two fucking white idiots who can't dance. And then Rikishi comes into the mix... And all of a sudden, this big, strong, powerful Samoan dude who's kicking everyone's ass is like, all right, 
I'll do a little dance, just this once. So did they try and make everyone dance with them? No, no, at the start it was just they were dancing like fucking idiots. I just don't understand why Rikishi of all people was paired up with them. I think it was just because he could dance. Yeah, but in kayfabe, why? In kayfabe, it was literally like these guys saw this big powerful dude. I think it was like a survivor, around the time of a Survivor series uh-huh. or, some- or something like that. They needed a team or whatever it was. So Rikishi was just like the guy that they had, you know. They were feuding with the Hollies and he had feuded with the Hollies as well. So he was just kind of adjacent. I don't think they planned it to be a long-term thing. Right. But like I showed you the first time they danced together. And it's like, it's wrestling 101, isn't it? Yeah. You know, because you, know, you have the person who's like, oh, I don't want to dance. And you bring him in and he's like, oh, maybe I'll dance. And then he fucking does the dance. I mean... I'm trying to explain this to you about why it was such an important deal on the playground, but you tell me what you thought of the dance, because we watched plenty of Too Cool Dancing with Rikishi. So what are your thoughts on the the gimmick, I guess, of of the dance breaks? The gimmick I find weird. It doesn't make sense to me. It's random. You love dance. You're always going on about dance. I'm not talking about the actual dance itself. Okay. The dance itself, I love. Rikishi fucking owns it. He's so good. I actually think he might be the best dancer I've seen in wrestling. I'm trying to think of anyone I've seen that I was more impressed by. I was like, Joanna, Carmella, uh, no. Lana, no. professional dancers. No. And that's the trouble is you can be a professional dancer and also have no rhythm and no actual <laughs> innate talent. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. And I'm saying this like, the only reason I feel comfortable saying this is because I'm not professional, but like I have qualifications in dance. Yeah, you did, you did dance yeah. at, 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 college and you, at, yeah. at, at college and school and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean I'm any good. <laughs> I suck. <laughs> I dance like such a stereotypical white lady. Aww. I have no innate rhythm. I have no innate skill. My body doesn't move the way proper dancers' bodies move. And <laughs> it's the same with like Carmela and Lana as well. Like they've got the, you know, the basic timing or whatever. They can make their bodies move in the technical way they're supposed to, but there's no joy in it. There's no like connection to the music. So you, you can feel that in these moments. The, Absolutely. The joy. Rikishi moves with the music like he is part of the music. He his whole body and I think it's it makes it even more impressive because he's so big. Yeah. Like his body is just beautiful to watch. Like it he has such control over it. That's why I loved about Dan's artwork is I thought he really captured the, the, the kind of the spectacle or what was like special about yeah. you know, when Rikishi dances. Because you know, we have seen I don't know, you just mentioned Carmella there, but you know, there was a gimmick they did with Carmella and R-Truth would come in and go, oh, dance break, and they just start mm. dancing. The crowd would go, eh, yeah, you know. They, it's they, kind of awkward. You know, they give it the, the yay. But like, I, I shit you not, Joe, back in the year 2000, Rikishi and Too Cool dancing, like that would be the moment if we were watching like Raw or staying up or anything like that, people go, right, I'm off to bed now, folks. You yeah. know, that's the highlight of the show. I've been thinking as well, like <laughs> why that is. And I don't think it's just because Rikishi is a good dancer, because... I think there's more to it than that. I think it's also the type of dance that they're doing and the music. It's very masculine. You like the music, don't you? I love the music. We have been in the last couple of weeks to see Les Mis live. Yeah. So every morning I've woken up to Joe being like, one more day until recording. (laughs) Uh, Every single day. Until... Last couple of days, when the Rikishi watching is intensified, and you started coming down the stairs going, do, 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 yeah, do, do, So that, if, if it's battling Les Mis out of your headspace, yeah. that's a sign of a good song. Good it job, is. Jim Johnson. It is a good, it's a good song. But yeah, I feel like part of the reason why that dance went down so well is because it, it is cool. It's like understated, it's precise, 
It's low key and mm-hmm. it comes across as effortless. Yes. Whereas like a lot of the more recent examples of dancing gimmicks, which haven't really gone over, it's so cringy and try hard. And it's like watching your aunt's so uncle dancing at a wedding. Fortnite dance. Everyone, uh, look at this. I don't want to cr- see that. What I love about it as well is that Rikishi would kind of freestyle. He would do he would do the fucking robot. He would fucking twerk. He would do all these really cool but random he moves. Actually, do it. Yeah. Like it's not just a case of like, oh, I've seen someone do the robot and I can I can move my arms like you know in a kind of robotic way he does the robot properly because he's got that breakdancing background where he would have performed in front of crowds of people who would have fucking laughed in his face if he'd done it wrong and I think you know WWE loves the gimmick of someone dancing that's always part of the show and Jesus Christ you have not witnessed many thank God like big men in wrestling being given dancing gimmicks because so many big men you know, I think of Tyrus, who was Brodus Clay. I think of having to Albert even at one point. You know, they, they give these big men the dancing gimmick because Vince McMahon is like, there's nothing funnier than a big man busting a move. And when you can tell that they don't like doing it and they're like, doing the dance! Hi, everyone! You know, you can just see that performer is not enjoying it. There's no it. joy in it. And that's what dance is all about. It's, it's meant it's to about be, yeah. joy. It's about life and love and it sounds so fucking cheesy but like it is no genuinely you get you speak to the best dancers on on earth and they will tell you that's what dance is about because like that's why they're so good is because they are one with the music and that's why i can't fucking do it because i never have that relationship with my body and with dance oh you're such a better dancer than me i'm like i'm sitting here going like, i'm such a shit dancer hey, you're, you're so much better it's <laughs> fine being a bad dancer there's nothing wrong with that it's just like i just think it's important to like recognize and acknowledge that someone like Rikishi is like a proper proper pro it is and just also as well it's worth you know acknowledging that Joe has gotten superstar <laughs> on all of the ABBA dance tracks on Just Dance 2020 it's just worth bearing that in mind as well the ultimate white lady dance music is ABBA <laughs> <laughs> no no ABBA on Just Dance, on just dance. that is it like you know <laughs> Well, I, I tell you, like, what was so cool about it was that you had the fucking the three guys there. You got the main dude in the middle who actually knows what he's doing. Then you have Scotty Chuhati, who's just running around doing the worm, yeah. which was absolutely... It was like, the, it took over the people's elbows, the most popular thing people wanted to do on right, the playground. It's like saving grace he can do the worm well, because, like, they cannot dance those two. I know, you got Grandmaster, he's digging the shovel, he's <laughs> running on the spot. He, and I, that, was, that was the thing I would always... I loved Grandmaster's dance moves. Those yeah. my, like, I would give them as my taunts in wrestling games. I would do all that's, these, like, That's more accurate. Moves. They're less dance and more taunts, yeah. Yeah, but, like, it always felt good for it to happen, because... You know, seeing the big man leave, and every time he'd be like, because of the intensity that you would see with Rikishi in the ring, because he like he wasn't about dancing when he was in the ring. You know, this early run of him, he'd fucking smash people, super kick that Rikishi driver he does where yeah. he sits out, the like, devastating moves. And then I after, heard that that's been banned. Yeah, they don't do that move no more. It's uh, or he, they stopped him doing it it's because because of the pile driver. Is that right? WWE banned pile drivers for for a good long while, and, and- you, you can do them, but they are not permitted I should say so that say. counts as a pile driver even though if you watch the man do it because he grabs them and he puts his arms out and he just sits out flat on the ground mm. and what he basically does is your head is like in his abdomen his, he, all the noise comes from his big ass and his big his it's big so thighs. scary though and there's a lot of moves that Rikishi does where it's like looks devastating but it's just he knows how to make a noise with his body parts mm. and he'd have this intensity and he'd be like you know he fucking decimate someone he'd squash him jump off the top rope just sit on them and then the two cool guys would be like wait let's dance and he'd be all like 
And you think, oh, no, no, like, the big man just fucking kills someone. We're not dancing now, lads. Mm. And he'd go to leave the ring and be like, all oh, right, give him the glasses, give him the hat. And then I like the idea that we'll like. the glasses are like, try to think of They're it. They're like magical, Joe. It's like MC Hammer's shoes in Hammer Time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's the thing. I'm trying to think of like. Hammer Man, I should say. That's the thing. I'm trying to think of like an equivalent in like movies or television or whatever. It's basically okay. It's like Walter White becoming Heisenberg with the hat. <laughs> but Heisenberg is a dark thing. That's a nice this thing. This is like the opposite though. So Rikishi normally is like a really scary guy, like a super severe wrestler who's going to fucking kill you. When he puts on the glasses or the hat. When he puts on the glasses and the hat and he becomes Rikishiberg, <laughs> then the true good in him comes out and he can bust a he dance move. He can bust move. a move properly. Yes. Like to say that this was popular is an understatement we watched a clip which is in the middle of the royal rumble it's a very famous moment where rikishi comes in he clears house like he gets rid of like seven guys or whatever total powerhouse and then out come both members of too cool who are just so excited that they're all in the ring like let's all dance and it's madison square garden and every single person in that arena and that's the thing you see everyone clapping yeah, in unison really cool. what a visual you know we saw about you on the ECW episode Heyman's like you want to create a party atmosphere when you've got a small crowd because it mm. makes people go I want to be there yeah. you've got 30,000 people fucking clapping their hands it's a fucking sight and Jim Ross being like proper like stone cold being like look at these people on their feet a 400 pound man busting a move like it's the fucking coolest thing you've it ever seen it is the coolest thing I've ever seen I'm glad you can oh see that God, of course I love dance and the only thing I love like this is the thing it kind of combines all my loves I love in wrestling when you've got a big beefy person throwing their weight around yeah, yeah. and being athletically impressive in a way that you could never do if you were like lighter than that person because yeah. it's so much more impressive and so much more skillful and then you've got dance where again like dance is such an industry where it's like it's predominantly thin people even though it has weight has no bearing on yep. your ability to dance yeah, as yeah. is proved by rikishi and many other very skilled dancers and it's just it's so nice it's so refreshing seeing a big fat guy moving his body like that so skillfully i just i fucking love it it really is the coolest thing ever the the, the great thing about it is that that is the kind of the, that's the memory that's the overarching kind of part of it like you have to remind yourself though at times it was the year 2000 so like every time this man was on screen you had weird fucking comments from you know jerry lawler and and jim ross as well about mm. you know the man's weight the size of his ass why can't you know? be comp- i just don't but that, that that's part of the gimmick though isn't it because like that was the most standard thing like rikishi this new rikishi that came out and debuted he wore gear that was like, look at this man's ass. Oh yeah, absolutely. He wore a thong. Which is like, you know, that he went, that's fucking, he's going all in there, you know? I would just have liked one comment, one time from Jim Ross or Cherry Lawler or someone just going, it's really impressive, isn't it? How, how good he is at dancing. Like, I'm not even going to go so far as to say, see him move his body because that obviously will sound really gay in this homoerotic industry. But like, just like a nice, a pit, like compliment on I mean, how... It was generally treated as a positive thing, like the, the dancing and all that. But like his you know. body size in relation to the dancing, did they ever compliment him on that? Or was it just like, mm. ha ha, fat man? This is the issue now because like I watched a shoot interview with Rikishi where, you know, I always will preface this if I watch a shoot interview where someone seems like they're not in a particularly good mood. Yeah, that can those, influence things. You know, yeah. those always influences things. But he says straight up, like when he came back at this time, that he thought that Jim Ross, in his words, is his words, he said he thought Jim Ross was prejudiced against fat people. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And, you know, he was like constantly in a battle with the office 
to lose weight because they're like, you're so impressive, you're so great. Imagine what it'd be like if you lost. You don't need X to imagine. He did that earlier in his career, and he fucking did nothing with him. Here he is with a unique look, still wrestling as good, if not better, than he did when he had less weight. Fucking get over yourselves and accept the fact that the man has improved. There are like, you know, I'll play devil's advocate here, but also, you know, point out some 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 things have been been pointed out to me, I guess. You know, I feel like it's it's worth sharing because yes, it, it obviously sucks and all that. And we've talked plenty of times in previous episodes about expectations, particularly in that era, mm. you know, of 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 the body size that Vincent Man wants and kind of seemingly hiring people because they are a certain size and then, you know, you, you make them change that size and then complain when they yeah. don't. It's, it's strange. You know, I mean, I look at Walter, now Gunther, in WWE in 2022. He's been to lose weight. And he has. And he's like, I'll do it. I'm like, I don't want to see that guy wrestle as much because no. I, lo- I love seeing the big fucking heavy hoss That's do we, athletic shit. Yeah, we all loved that about him as he had such a unique look. Yeah, as opposed to seeing, oh, look, an athletic bodied person did an athletic thing. You know what? Yeah. Like, everyone is like that pretty much. You yeah, know? this is professional wrestling in a very... Ah, uh, yeah. I think with Rikishi, to, to to get back to my point, I think with him and Jim Ross particularly, mm. and I think you know, as we point out in the ITR podcast, the man clearly had issues with 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 people and weight, as as we clearly did as well, because the man couldn't help but comment on it in the same way we we couldn't help but help ourselves but comment on it all the time, like you know, fucking immature agents that we were. But his, you know, his cousin Yokozuna, his struggles with his weight were 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 legendary, and I don't use that term lightly. Like well, Yokozuna, Yokozuna. Were, yeah, I know he had real and health he, issues. You know, he obviously was someone who could move very fast and was very impressive for his size. But you know, his weight got so so out of control. I think we watched a, a pay per view classic where him and Owen Hart were tagging, mm. and he could bear. He was like seven hundred pounds nearly. Like mm. you can see, his legs were just like you know just fucking not working for him and yeah all no that. he could barely move at that point yeah. and, you know, he was a guy that when he broke his leg they had to get like a pickup truck mm. you know to, to take him out of the you know, they had to get machinery to take him out of the fucking arena like and they, yeah. I think that was in their mind just to be fair though that's going to be the case with a lot of wrestlers who are yeah. big almost yeah. big show yeah like they're not necessarily overweight you still would need machinery to carry them out I know I think it is also worth bearing in mind something that Jim Ross said only recently on a, on a podcast when he was asked about this kind of this very nature was that his concern was not necessary just for the health and well-being of the wrestler which it obviously you know as the head of talent relations it obviously was at the forefront of his mind mm. but he said that athletic commissions the states that they would go to they had requirements for the weights of the wrestlers and mm-hmm. that they're over certain weights that they couldn't get you know cleared to wrestle say if you're going to Idaho the athletic commission there wants you know if you're over this amount of pounds you're not gonna be able to wrestle you won't pass the physical as far as they're concerned what so and i i've not That's uh, so crazy but my limited knowledge you know the, the few times we've talked about athletic commissions here before it's you know it's pretty crazy because there's certain athletic commissions to this day that still treat wrestling like it is you know a legitimate sport yeah and there's obviously benefits to that because it means that there's doctors there and all that but there's also ridiculous rules and taxes and stuff that, that still get le- levied against wrestling companies that in retrospect, maybe are a bit severe. And mm. I think it's a bit of an out for Jim Ross to say that, but Rikishi, while we are gushing now about his fucking, his amazing physique and his amazing ability, mm. all throughout this time, he's getting shit about it. Mm. And I think that sucks because there comes a point later then in his career where his weight is a serious issue. Yeah. And it's like, you are going to get fired now, mate. And it's like, well, you've been fucking nagging him nonstop when he's in good shape, bad shape, middle shape, mm. that... When it is an issue now, and it really, it's like, look, we need to sort this now. You're getting seriously unhealthy. 
Well, then it's on deaf ears because you've been exactly. fucking nagging the dude nonstop. Yeah. You've like. been making it all an aesthetic thing and a, an opinion thing. And it's just like, you you know, it's it's subjective, your opinion. You think he's too heavy. And you're going on about that for years and saying, oh, it's for this reason and that reason. And then you finally, you know, there is evidence to show that he actually does medically need to lose weight. Mm. You're the last person who should be saying that to him because, like, it's still going to come out as just your opinion. Exactly. And I think, you know, the main thing you want to be looking at Rikishi right now is not his weight. It's the fact that you've taken a guy who you swung and he missed at four times. Mm-hmm. He's come back now. And in one month, he has went from being like an absolute non-entity to taking himself and two guys who are also non-entities. Because Too Cool were the worst than fucking, like lower than low in at that point in time. And all of a sudden, these three guys are like the top mid-card act. And I shit you not everyone the playground we it was like scooby-doo people arguing who's going to be who now, i'm not i'm going to be sky Shuhani. no you can't do the worm i'm you be grandmaster i used to be end up being rikishi invariably because i had the glasses, the glasses you know and yeah. i was too scared to let anyone lend them so i'm like you can do the glasses on me and i'll do rikishi <laughs> but like you know it 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 was huge and it goes then from this guy he you know debuts at like sunday night heat or metal or whatever it is and we cut to our next match now he's fucking challenging triple h for the world championship on SmackDown. And I had to show Joe not just the match, the setup for this match, because this happens on SmackDown, and this is one of my all time favorite setups and executions for an angle involving an up and coming, exciting baby face in Rikishi. Yeah, I loved this segment. So they're in a bingo hall, and. <laughs> Who's they, Joe? The whole of the. Smackdown roster? Yeah, it's a Smackdown roster. Oh, no, it would have been, there would have been no Smackdown Raw separation time. So this is oh. the whole WWF roster. I see. Okay. Um, and, yeah, they're all there. And then this whole meeting is being led by Triple H and Stephanie, who have one of those bingo machines. <laughs> the Tumblr, I think. Right, yeah. And they've put a list of wrestlers' names in the Tumblr. And it's going to get picked out at random to see who Triple H will fight against at Smackdown. And the first name I think they pull out is Andre the Giant. He's like, oh, very funny. I'd I beat his ass anyway yeah. if he was here, if he was still alive, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's not, so I won't beat him up. And then the next name he pulls out is the fabulous Moolah. <laughs> he's like, Moolah, I'm not wrestling you. You know, I read some shit about you on the internet and I don't feel comfortable actually sharing the ring with you. So as a matter of like, <laughs> disrespect for all the women you fucked over, I'm just going to leave that there for now. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> And then the final, I think they, they they get Howard Finkel, who's sitting on his own in the corner. Bless him. And Aww. they're like, how would you do this one? And then he falls over and knocks over the tumbler and spills all the names everywhere. And it's implying that Triple H and Steffi have been like rigging it beforehand. Yeah. And because Triple H, no fewer than three times, says, this is the real deal right yeah. here. What do you say the tumbler? Oh, also, in the tumbler, the names are put within like plastic eggs. Oh, God. Did you have to pull a tab on yeah. to open up? And then squeeze it open, and no one can open the egg without it spilling everywhere. So every time they open an egg, it like shoots into someone's face. See, what I thought this was, Joe, was a culture which was bereft of Kinder eggs because they don't have them in America. Yeah, they're illegal. So they're all like, how do we get what? How do we get the thing out of this little. You've fucking never done this, have you? Yeah, but you know fully well that we have kinder eggs and even we would struggle because they're fucking hard you pop them in the mouth one bite on the side Ugh. make sure you don't get the hinge in between Crush your molars the toy. pop it out there it's alright you know no. <laughs> now what I like about this is it shows something that we always love which is a bit of world building and yes. the fact that you have this entire locker room 
and I love this. You know, we're at the point now where you you know, you know enough about certain wrestlers yeah. and certain time periods that you were like looking at this scene and picking out people who we've were got, sitting with who. We've got Luna. We've got Mae Young. I'm trying to think who I mean, else. The Dudley Boys sat there in the back. Yeah. Hardys were there. Oh yeah. Of the course. boss man was on his own, yeah. which I love the little detail that no one wants to sit with the fucking psycho <laughs> from Cobb County, Georgia. <laughs> And then, yeah, so Howard Finkel pulls out a name from the floor and he's like, it's Rikishi! And Triple H and Stephanie are furious because Howard Finkel's fucked up again. I love how they reveal Rikishi. He's like he's surrounded kind of, yeah. by the roster and you kind of, you don't see it, but you see them, all the roster being like, oh my God, it's going to be Rikishi, it's Rikishi. And too cool, are like, oh yeah, oh yeah! They're all excited and they just part away and then and, you just see the yeah, big man there. It's like sitting there looking really chill. With a fucking pair of sunglasses and a Hawaiian shirt yeah. and he's like... I'll do that. Rah. And then he stands up and he fucking fills the room because he's so big. I just loved it because, you know, we'd seen him dance and all that stuff. You know, we'd seen a lot of what was making this version of the Rikishi character fun. But I thought that segment there, like, it was presenting a dude as a star. And yeah. it felt so, like, your reaction alone, I think, made me go, this is, this is how you should do it. Because... Mm. It made Triple H look worried. It made all of his peers go, yeah, he's the fucking guy. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, God, you, who would you even do that with in a 2022 yeah. on, on one of those rosters? You know, it would be, be, <laughs> be weird to see everyone sat in a room together. Even yeah, I like know. That, you know. It wouldn't happen on a room in a void, maybe. Fucking well jazzed for this because you have got... <laughs> Rikishi, uh, this is peak Rikishi as far as I'm concerned. He is big, he is fast, he is hard-hitting. Triple H is an excellent opponent for him because he is, he's fending off. He's like, he's almost rests like he's scared of this big dude Rikishi. Who, by the way, I don't know if you picked up Rikishi's noises that he makes when he wrestles. His steam sounds. <laughs> he's a uh, steam-powered. I love it fucking great it suits him so well as well because he is so big that yeah. i do i think of him being as like a steam-powered wrestler like yeah he's, he's, he's gonna fucking, take in big yeah. fucking amounts like, like he's got like an engineer inside him shoveling like <laughs> fuel into him <laughs> fucking brilliant we get some great little moments here that you can just like you can see it was almost like the greatest hits in itself this match the sell that rikishi does when he gets a clothesline he'll usually once a match describe what the man does with his body for the folks at home he becomes like a torpedo. What is he... it? No, what is it? What is it? Maybe it's not a torpedo. There's like some kind of missile or something that spins around and around and around. Jesus, that sounds scary. Or maybe it's a type of fire. I don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, he spins around <laughs> and around and around like kind of side... Ballistics expert Joe Graham has logged into the chat line. <laughs> um, and yeah, he spins around and it's very impressive. And then he kind of goes upside down as well. It's just, it's, yeah... All right, let's try with some more beautiful imagery. Okay. It's like a trash bag caught in the wind on 1.5 speed. Yeah. He goes, and then or, bam. The way I would kind of describe it is he's kind of like a squirrel or like a cat. Oh, yeah. When he gets knocked off his feet, he always lands as he as his body wants him to. Right, yeah, yeah. And unlike a squirrel or a cat where their body is designed to twist around and find feet, his body twists around and finds his back. So he always lands safely on his back, but like he twists his body around in such a way to his so to do it, and it's just so impressive. What is equally, if not more impressive about it, is that he did this spot in that earlier match from the early nineties when he was one of the head shrinkers as Fat Two. Yeah, he took a little, but it was like a smaller version of it. Here he is. He's probably, I'd say, 
50 to 100 pounds heavier, mm-hmm. older, a bit wiser, and my God, he moves and he spins like 10 times as much. Yeah, he goes way further. And there's a few moments I remember showing Joe early on, like where it was, we had watched him and Eddie Guerrero and China was on the outside and China did a clothesline to him and he did the big sell yeah. for China and it just made China seem like a beast. Mm-hmm. And I love that when there's a big man who knows and can do it, the moment to sell and take a big power move to make someone else look like... You know, he, he did that to Taz once Taz gave him the little clothesline. Yeah. And then he's whoosh, spinning around like a fucking Hindenburg about to come down. It's fucking brilliant. It's amazing. And I don't know how... I can only assume it's because of his breakdancing background that he must have some kind of core strength that I can't even comprehend of. <laughs> yeah, because it's like... How does he do it midair? I I, I watched it on slow speed. Like it's as if he. Grabs I'd love to watch it on slow speed. I thought maybe he grabbed someone's shoulders no. for kind of purchase. No, he just. It's like kind he of, uses the air yeah, he for momentum. I don't know. Yeah, it's magical. You maybe want to see the man do like a fucking moonsault. Or I know. Maybe right? I'm getting a little bit greasy here now. What do you think to Stephanie McMahon Helmsley on commentary, oh. watching her her husband get her ass kicked by by big old Rikishi? She's not great. No. <laughs> I was really excited when I heard she was going to be on commentary and she's really bad. Yeah, this is like... She's like, if I like if I got into commentary when I first became a wrestling fan, she's like, this is good. This is not good. That's my husband. I support my husband. My name is Stephanie McMahon Helmsley, Michael yeah. Cole. That is my name. She sounds like she's in a video game. Like She's been doing it for two months at this point, this character. Yeah, she's so very guess, green. Yeah, definitely. It's just weird, though, because like in the segment where they were in the bingo hall, she was perfect. She in was front of the crowd on commentary. In front of the crowd on commentary, it's totally different. I don't know if she has daddy in her ear as well. God damn it, Stephanie. That would make things harder. God damn it. Yeah. yeah you fucking ruined it <laughs> Stephanie Matt. there is a build up for the bonsai drop the bonsai drop used to be Yokozuna's finisher as well which is you know Rikishi was always very good at paying homage to other members of the Inouye family like you know uh, the, the Tonga kids and Yokozuna and Umaga later on but that's when he just gets on the second rope and he just jumps off and sits straight on the chest now Yokozuna, he injured a few people back in the day doing it because he was just so massive. Really, yeah. And like, because you, you need know. really incredible. That, that's the thing I kind of took away from seeing Rikishi do this, is he does a squat. He has incredibly powerful thighs and He's legs. He's referred to as the Sultan of Squat at one point, I think. Very, very. I mean, don't invoke the Sultan, <laughs> yeah. lads. Okay, we don't need to do that. All right, okay. Call him the Sensei of Squat instead. Sure. That's way better. <laughs> but like, that's it, because like, you can't just land on your bum. You will break someone's ribs. Yeah, you, you have fucking to. break their breastbone. Yeah, right, yeah, like I think if I did that move to someone, I could break a rib. You have to have leg power so that when you're landing, you're giving people ideas now here. <laughs> When you land, you have to have the power in your legs to not actually land on your bum. You have to land within your legs and then do a squat. And it's just like very impressive. Considering how big he is, how hard it is, like for me to do a squat, like it's just incredible to think that he can, like, and he's going from such a height. I love as well that. How would that not give him shin splints? I don't understand. Did you see like when when it happened? You could see the Titan Tron in the background. They had a close up with Steffi going no. Yeah, as he does the big move, <laughs> such a great fucking sell. Like, they really make Rikishi seem to be like this absolute world beater here. He goes to the Rikishi driver, but Triple H reverses it and tries the pedigree, but that also gets reversed. Stephanie runs in with a chair, and we get some. Oh, it's two thousand folks. Rikishi 
uh, allegedly kayfabe Samoan head notwithstanding gets fucking waffled right in the face with the chair. Oh god, I'd forgotten about that. But he kicks out! He does, yeah. And no one on commentary mentions it's because of where he happens to be from. That's, that was slow bits of progress here, I guess, you know? (laughs) Again, wouldn't it be nice if they'd just made it clear it's a training thing and then they could mention it and it would be really cool. Tell you what, this is cool. Crowd chatting Rikishi. And like, that's, yeah. that's that's awesome. This dude is like, you know, three months ago, wasn't even on TV. It was like Mr. Four Failed Gimmicks. Crowd all chanting his name in unison. What a perfect opponent though. Triple H. I know. Like a big, scary, buff, like corporate dude. Like that's awesome to have Rikishi against him because like, that's exactly the kind of like bullies bully you want. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for, for us as kids, a big thing about Rikishi is just seeing like, you know, I don't think when we were like, I was like 12 years old, I'm like, oh, it's great to see representation of bigger bodies. No, no. we're just like, it's it's something different. Hey! Yeah. And a big part of it, generally for me and a lot of people who got into wrestling around this time, watching on you know, Channel 4 and stuff in the UK, like when you're a kid, like I'll, I'll go to for people who's like, if you're fucking bigger or heavy, you fucking sit on people if you're play fight and stuff like that. And seeing like a big heavy dude just be like, I'm going to sit on you, dude. Like that, and people are like, ah, he's going to sit on people? Oh my <laughs> fucking God, that's amazing. And sometimes he does it off the top rope. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> it's very easy to make someone excited. Like I think Rikishi's the type of guy that if you took like your grand to a house show and Rikishi was there, she'd be fucking going, yay, Rikishi. You know? I feel like as well, it's partly like that William Regal thing of being mm. able to identify when certain moves are done, of being able to be like, like to relate to them and be like oh, i've experienced that like a lot of us have you know either in play fighting <laughs> or doing sports or love making have been sit on or have sat on other people and it's like it is quite suffocating and scary and stuff like i used to do that to my brother when we were fighting and so like you know if it's the type of thing that's like been done in the playground that you know it's effective yeah that's the people that's why people were fucking were gathering around this dude and Triple H, you know, faced with this onslaught, he can't even knock him out with a chair. So he just grabs the belt and DQs himself in front of the referee. And it's one of those occasions where I think a champion disqualifying himself actually made the challenger look really good because Rikishi stands up right after being waffled with a chair and the belt. And he's like, come on, I'm still ready. Let's go. And the crowd are chanting his name. Too cool come in and they're like, fuck yeah, man, let's dance. And Rikishi after being hit over and over and over in the head with these weapon shots, he's like fucking busting a move dancing away awesome i fucking love that it's so cool but i thought this was a nice little potted here's the man as a potential main eventer what did you think to rikishi in this match taking on triple h the match itself i didn't love it's still i guess a television match they're not giving you everything yeah Yeah. and the chair shots unprotected chair shots to the head not a fan ever more on that later folks I and I don't like Triple H. <laughs> There's a lot going against for this match. Uh, Didn't really like the commentary. Uh, the match itself, I gave a three. Three, very good. Which I feel is generous. I think a lot of those points were for just Rikishi being really, really good. So it, it felt like there was factors other than Rikishi that affected your enjoyment of the match. If I'm purely rating Rikishi's performance, I'd have given him a five. He's great. He does nothing wrong. So there is something that is not in this match, but then would be added to Rikishi's arsenal very shortly thereafter. A very important thing. Some would say it's synonymous with Rikishi. People are wondering, you've been doing this podcast for an hour and a half. Have you not mentioned the man who invented the stink face, Rikishi? You've not mentioned the stink face at all. Joe, what's your understanding of the wrestling move the stink face. He sits on people's faces. 
He just doesn't sit on their face. Jeez, that's fucking terrifying. He, well, he, 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 he presses wiggles. against them in the corner. He seductively wiggles up against them with his big round peach, yeah. <laughs> so in his I, thong. <laughs> this is something we need to take a little bit of time to unpack because to say that this has got like reverberations around the greater world outside of wrestling and wrestling itself is, is to say a fucking, is an understatement. This move was invented by absolute chance at a house show. Yeah. And Rikishi in an interview reveals that someone we did an episode on in the past show was actually the person who helped him invent the move. They came up with the idea in the middle of a match. Oh, yeah? It's the big boss man, Joe. No! Yes! What? So Rikishi was facing our old pal Ray Trailer on a house show around this time and he got bopped, he fell into the corner and a lady in the crowd, an old woman, passes in the corner and screams, Rikishi! Stick your ass in his face! Oh, I see. This old woman came up with it, not Boss Man. I don't, well, here's the thing, though, right? It's one thing for some of the audience to scream it. A rest has to consent. So Boss Man was literally like gestures, like, do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> and they did it, and it was the pop of the night. <laughs> like, honestly, like, it blew the fucking roof off the arena. I bet it did. To the point where the producers at the house show went over to Vince the next day, and they were like, Vince, you got to see this new move. <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of uh, straight men in denial about why it's so popular. So Vince is like, we just don't understand. It must be because he has a big stinky bum. So, so they go to Vince. You got to see this new move. I love the idea of them like this new move is about like you know like it's like oh this fucking headlock takeover into a bridge yeah. or whatever it is. Basically, he shoves his ass in someone's face. Yeah. And they're like, he got the biggest pop of the night. It got bigger pop than the main event. Like the crowd became unglued when he did it. <laughs> so they were like, Rikishi, you can you do that? He's like, yeah, I'll do that from now on. Yeah, I'll do that as part of my move. And thus the stink face was born. And to say that it was popular is an understatement. Mm. Here's the thing, Joe. There's a lot of those people you just talked about there, folks who may be in a bit of denial, yeah. who were like, yay, woo! Yay, a stinky bum! There were those of us as kids who were just like, ah, that man put his bum in someone's yeah. face! For kids, it literally would be, man has stinky bum. Fucking hilarious like as kids we were absolutely obsessed even i was aware of the stink face and i like had only heard of hulk hogan and stone cold steve austin outside of doing this podcast so like before the most recent wrestlemania wrestlemania 38 which you've heard a review on patreon where we talked about vince mcmahon and steve austin and it being the most we've ever laughed in our lives yep. the moment before that was when i heard that one time the road dog jesse james while under the influence took a stink face at a house show and vomited <laughs> What? <laughs> and so for me, like, this is like... Oh my God, this, I would pay money to see that. This is peak comedy. So there's a lot of people like, yay! And I will happily let you know, Joe, and I'm sure you know that aware, that there are lots of people who are like, this is just a great sexual thing that you presented to me on primetime television. I'm going to get it every week. All sorts of scenarios. Men getting it should be like, ah, how embarrassing for the big tough That's man. the thing, right? Sexy isn't it? women getting yeah. it. Ah, how embarrassing for the sexy <laughs> one. Like, honestly, if you weren't getting put through a table by the Dudley boys, yeah. you know, there's a good chance that Rikishi was going to stick his bum in your face. And <laughs> there's a long list of women who took it. And it was a, an angle for Tori. Uh, it was an angle for Terry Runnels, Lita, Stephanie, Tristratus. Uh, BB, uh, everyone who was pretty much working at the time took a stink face from Rikishi. Yeah. It was big old fucking business. It is basically now, we have found out, <laughs> I always just keep happening on this podcast. Yeah, we, we did a Jobbers episode and we found it out as well. But this is basically like 
spun off into its own subgenre in the fetish scene in the online porn world. In what way? Because I would have thought it already was. Yeah, but the fact that it is called like Stink Face, like there are like subreddits dedicated to like Stink Faces. There are like That's people, so it seems, who have no interest in wrestling whatsoever, but just want to see Stink Faces. There are numbers of women on the independence and a few men as well who are like, yeah, I do stink faces. That's wow. my whole. That's my whole gimmick and stuff like that. Do they all have big bums and wear thongs? Most of them do. Yeah, Good I, them. I would say as well. They all should kick up five points to fucking Rikishi for yeah. being the innovator. But like to say that this is a fever pitch. You know what I mean? That when you've got like five or six different groups of people all going, ah, yes, yeah. for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. But like. You know, it's as if I would have looked at someone who's like getting off on it and been like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. Like, yeah, I'm enjoying this too. Yeah. You know, this was a a harmonious whole of very different parts Uh of of wrestling fans. Within a few weeks of him doing the stink face the first time, he's involved with a fucking storyline with Pat Patterson where he gives Rikishi the stink face and he's got tidy whities on that have skid marks. No. And then Rikishi That's a real stink face. takes the, the the pants off and gives the mandible claw to Pat Patterson. <laughs> skid marks, JR! No. We had the SummerSlam after this period, which had one of its standout matches being the Cat versus Terry Runnels in a, and I quote, thong stink face match. No. Where the first woman to deliver a stink face to the other would be declared the oh winner. Oh my God. So that's just ridiculous. That's just <laughs> That's just Rikishi appropriation. I do <laughs> well, not appreciate be it. Kickups from that, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the man is basically made like I would call it a pillar or a cornerstone. It's but yeah, it's a column at least. But it's it's, <laughs> it's one of the slabs in the yeah. fucking back garden of wrestling. You know, in the dirty fetish backyard of wrestling, it's it's there, folks, and it's a big yeah. part of it. And I think like <laughs> it's just really funny because. It, it got over so huge. And even though it got over huge, this man was still being treated as a threat in the ring. I was like, oh, here comes Rikishi. He's just going to rub his bum in your face. It would be like he was kicking your ass in the match. He's going to slam you. He's going to do this, that, and the other. But if he heard someone just kind of... And they did set up always that you know, he'd do a punch or a super kick and the person just kind of stumble and whoop, they yeah, just fall that, right. Well. And he'd be turned away and he'd go... What's that noise? <laughs> and he turn over and he start raising the roof and people are like, fuck, yes, he's going to fucking do it. And if Rikishi didn't hit the stink face, that would have been the biggest boo of the night. Yeah. One time Mr. Perfect put the towel in his face to get the defense. <laughs> and then another time in the house, Rikishi said, as a prank, Mr. Perfect somehow threaded the towel through his thong. So after the stink face, Rikishi walked over and he just had a towel hanging out in the middle of, of his pants. Of course it was Mr. Perfect who did that. Of course it was. Now, what would you think to as the move to take to it? Do you think it'd be a pleasant experience? Like, a lot of women, a lot of men in WWF taking it at the time. And of course, you know, if Stephanie's taking it, Vince never mm-hmm. did, but if Stephanie's taking it, it's pretty much saying, carte blanche, everyone can take the stink face, right? <laughs> I would never do anything that uh, I wouldn't be willing to put my daughter through. <laughs> it's, it's very brave of him to Very say brave, that, yeah. Um... I think it entirely comes down to his personal hygiene. So I went out of my way and irrevocably altered my Google search set uh, preferences oh. forever. For I'm getting some weird ads on Wish after this, folks. Oh, no. 
But I tried to find out interviews of people who had received the stink face. I mean, the guy vomiting is a pretty bad indication of the hygiene of Rikishi, but he was under the influence, so maybe he just felt sick. And it's also Road Dog as well, so oh, it's yeah. worth bearing in mind. It's really particularly funny that happened to that man. Yeah. Like. So I tried to find out as best as I can, and I spread men and women of, of what the reality of taking the stink face was. Yeah. The most recent and full-throated defense of the stink face came from Matt Hardy, who on a recent stream talked about it and said, absolute pleasure, yeah. absolute pleasure of a thing to take. Yeah. Because Rikishi was always very, very up on his skincare. Yeah. He would always moisturize. He seems very well kept. And also as well, he would use a lot of baby powder and talcum powder and so stuff like that nice. as well. So he'd always give you one cheek and then the other as well. Because that's the thing, isn't it? If you're doing a gimmick like the stink face, I know if that were me, I would want to take extra care. Like every, if before every match, I'd be out there fucking baby powder, giving it the once over, like just you want in people case. not to work with you because no, or that, to like, that would be the death knell of it. Yeah, people don't want to take it. Or to like, like, you know, because someone's like so repulsed by the smell that they don't sell it properly. Like that they just like keep their head away and you, you have to like get it in there. So Shout out to Matt Hardy as well, who the, the one time I remember him being in a stink face, spot he pulled Don Marie his tag partner in front of him and was like, ha, 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 ha. And she's like no <laughs> so I tried to find some other people uh, an interview Tori uh, mm. former DX affiliate just said haha what a great night that was which didn't make me think that she enjoyed it particularly much. I think she just doesn't want to give anyone wank fodder. That's true. Terry Runnels, who did an She AMA, doesn't give a shit. She does not give a shit. The woman took a handgun to the fucking airport. Yeah. She does not give a shit at all. Uh, in the same AMA where she was like, I'm happy what I achieved in my wrestling career. My underboob game was really on point the last few years. Love that woman so She's much. so great. She's so cool. But... Uh, yeah, what did she think of the stink face? She was like, the, the thing she says, it was always professional, always always great, and I wanted to make sure, you know, that it was, I took it dramatically and yeah. all that for him, and he knew that, and he was a professional, and he came up to me beforehand, and he put his hand on my shoulder and said, I'm all ready for you tonight, just so you know, yeah. two showers, baby powder, moisturizer, everything, we're up next. So Wax back and crack. He's, he's just like, he knows exactly what he's doing. The man yeah. is very, very much aware of the reality of the situation, yeah. and she said it was... You know, it was as pleasant as you could expect. I think it would be pleasant so long as he is clean because he's got a lovely bum. I haven't said that so far on the podcast. I tweeted it earlier. He has a lovely bum. Where's the bum? Oh yeah, I love his bum. It's you love great. His bum. That's great good. bum. He ends up with a bit of cellulite later on in his years. Don't give a shit. That's aging, baby. Who cares? We've all got a bit of cellulite. Maybe you should share some of your Brazilian bum bum cream with him sometime. Yeah, him some tips. share tips. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not sharing my pot though. It won't go around. <laughs> 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 I haven't got enough to spare. Um. But yeah, he's got a lovely bum and it's like, he's got lovely skin as well. Like you can tell he does like do skincare on his bum, which like, that's impressive. That's cool. I mean, you got it. If you're, if, if you're going to be showing it all the time in a thong, like my God, why wouldn't you? So the only downside about it, because I don't think there's like any other point to bring it up, but like when he became heel later on, which we will discuss. Did he start like shitting himself or something? To... When he became heel, he basically stopped doing all of the, no! all of the shtick. What, well, the hygiene? No. <laughs> Stop washing. <laughs> Undertaker, I ain't washed in weeks. I'm <laughs> tangy as a motherfucker. No, uh, what what happened was he cut all the dancing, all the stink face, all the fun stuff. Oh. Until like later on when he was still a heel, but his kind of a star had fallen a bit. They you know, had him stink face Leah and they had a you know him threatening to stink face the Undertaker. And like I'd have loved to see that. It, there's just something, yeah, you know, me and Adam talked about the SmackDown crawl where the Undertaker he gets busted open by mistake in a match and he's in the corner all like, Duh! 
and you've got Michael Cole being now. You used to be like, "Oh, the stinky face is coming," and they used to be all excited. And now he's like, "It's indignant, King. The man is trying to rub his bum in the Undertaker. The man's a legend, King. You shouldn't do that to him." So I decided to take it aside to to talk about the legend of the stink face and the mm. the right the wide-reaching implications of something that I think has went well beyond wrestling. I don't even think Rikishi realizes how far and wide this thing is spread. I think it would be quite nice to feel his bum on your face. You're just saying that now as a shoot, like, you know, you reckon? Like, if I had to take any move, that's the move I'd want to take, because he's got, like, a soft-looking bum. I'm sure it's probably not as soft as it looks, but, like, at least it'd be smooth on your skin and stuff. And it's like, you know, in wrestling, you have to take a lot of stuff to the face. A nice, clean, moisturised bum is really preferable to an elbow or a fist. Look at Joe (laughs) here. Proper podcast. You just go and take the hard bumps. Do it properly. You know, get stink face. From a man with the most lovely ass in wrestling. I think it's very brave of you, Joe. I'm basically saying that, yes, I would take the stink face from Kim Kardashian. It's my burden. (laughs) (laughs) So coming up next, we decided to look at a match from when Rikishi has still associated with Too Cool, still absolutely like the the man on the rise, you know, the, the next top star as far as we're concerned, which I should point out in the year 2000 when you've got Triple H, Undertaker, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin on his way back. You know, Mankind has just retired, but is still uh, on screen as Mick Foley. You got a lot of very big brand names in your wrestling show. You also got Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, you know, these big other names in the mid card. So the fact that he's standing out and is one of the most popular guys means a lot. And he does win the Intercontinental Championship around this time. And he loses it back to the man he's challenging again here in this next match, which is one of my faves of all time. From fully loaded 2000, it's a steel cage match as the big man Rikishi takes on the big piece of shit Val Venus, who we will try and refrain from just spending the whole match talking about what a big fucking weirdo he is. I don't know anything about him. He's a transphobe. That's all I know. And that's all you need to I know, really. I only know really, that like. because of Buff Bagwell's Twitter. Is well, that all fairness, he talks about? <laughs> you know, if, if that's all you know about the man, that's probably as much as you need to know about the man. Fine. Because usually when I find out about someone, I don't really care so much else about them. So I will say, watching this match, the recommendation is to think about that when you see Val Venus get thrown around pillar to post. Because... He gets the shit knocked out of him in this one, folks. You know, it's funny that Val Venus is such a transphobe, given that you think he'd be able to relate to the trans people's suffering of being constantly asked about their genitals. I know, right? Because the man famously had his uh, penis, cut, penis off. cut off. In a, and in I an bet angle. people ask him about that all the time. He's probably <laughs> bored of it, a bit annoyed. <laughs> I love that you remember that more than I remember it. I watched it on the TV. the only thing kids. I know about him. <laughs> so this match, really, honestly, the feud is just two guys who really really like are at the top of their game and they just want to fight and they've had these really wild brawls and they put each other through tables and they have to have a steel cage match and that's the way you settle it because it's an intense feud were you anticipating anything from Akishi given the fact that they're in a cage like we were expecting like you know what happens at the end of this match to happen I guess do you mean, did I expect him to jump from the top of the cage? Yeah, I don't know if that, like, does that come into your mind when you see a cage match and people coming yeah. into us? Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. I'd be disappointed. I honestly would feel let down if I saw a cage match and that didn't happen. Jesus Christ, yeah, high expectations, baby. In fact, I'm going to go, I'm going to say this now. I think they need to make a, a permanent change to cage matches, which is to just lock that gate door yeah i was saying this is one of my favorite matches of all time but i think this one you struggled with a point because of that rule that the, we explain what is the, the door and the cage what's the issue you have so they come into the cage 
unlike Hell in a Cell, which is lowered down onto them, basically, mm. the, the cage has a door that is locked on from the outside by a referee. And the rule is to win a cage match, you have to either... You have to basically escape the cage. And you do that by either climbing up the cage, which is, what, 20 feet high? It's fucking tall. Yeah. It's a cage, so it's not, like, designed to be climbed up. Also, chicken wire. You chicken know, wire. Cuts that, your fingers. It's it's not easy. To, that's the thing. The trade-off, you know, that old-school cage you would have seen, you know, Owen and Brett wrestling. Yeah. That's a big, blue, chunky like cage. Basically barbed wire. Yeah, so this thing is less dangerous to work with but harder to climb yeah. but also more prone to cut you yeah so you can do that you can yeah. climb up the 20 foot barbed wire cage which will shred your fingers in half or you could walk out the little door that there is which the referee will open for you you don't even have to I, open it you yourself you have to ask though you have to ask the that's bullshit they never fucking ask no one ever <laughs> asks they just wander the over gesture. there that's not the same. It's <laughs> shit. It's so shit. And yet still in wrestling, like it makes no sense. Why would wrestlers even bother climbing the cage when they could just walk out the door? It's so dumb. It's, I hate it so much. I uh, clearly, like a lot of wrestling fans, willingly suspend the disbelief of that because I was about to turn to you and go, ah, no, because and literally as I was saying that, they were like, the door was open and they were just both stood there. Yeah, that's like, it. Because <laughs> you have the, the, it slows down the pacing of the match because you have the wrestlers then trying to pretend as though, oh, I'm just too exhausted to walk through this already open door but i can climb a 20 foot cage fuck off it's so stupid i hate it let's focus on some nice things like val venus being thrown into the cage over and over and over again and bouncing around that was good that was fun and i also liked when val he uses the cage to kind of go from the top rope to the middle rope and he does kind of a springboard off of Mm -hmm. it which was impressive and immediately overshadowed by Jerry Lawler going, <laughs> <laughs> That's all Jerry Lawler should do ever on commentary, yeah. just make that sound. No, if you do a dive, you should go, <laughs> and if he does a, a springboard, he should go, <laughs> Those are the only two acceptable Jerry Lawler commentary noises. And when something sad happens, he should go, <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> there is a surprising amount of tippity toppity cage match action on this one like they are up up there near the top like they are side they are but like why there's the door just go through the door I think what it was was more for them to show you look at Rikishi he can, you bet you think he wouldn't do this yeah I wouldn't think anyone would do that because it's stupid just walk through the door just walk through the door it's like right it, me leaving the house to go to the shops what if I just climb over the back fence instead of going through the door that Kevin opens for me yeah but you have to gesture to me to open the door oh that's Joe, so hard that, I'll just climb know? over the 20 foot barbed wire fence then and you think it's all well and good oh Joe just go out the door she says I don't want to walk out the door willy nilly Joe and then have Trish Strass of all people slam it in my face yeah <laughs> I'm not taking that risk I, you can leave through the front door I'm popping over the back wall thank you like a sane person nothing will ever go wrong with jumping off a 20 foot cage will it <laughs> ever somehow when they're up in the cage just kind of punching left and right Val gets a, a gusher of a cut on him yeah I think that must have been the old hard way that that happened it looks it because he looks he looks kind of beaten and tired in that way that you look like if you've actually been in a shoot fight. I'm obviously not feeling very, very good about it. Or maybe it's just, you know, all the shit that's going on that's making life harder for our trans friends recently. But I just wrote down my notes. Val gets all beaten up and bloody and he's all, stop, this is great stuff. <laughs> this is why you love this match. is because I think it's just taken on, you know, it takes on a different meaning maybe in, in, in when you look back on things like this. You yeah. know? I, I like it for, for different reasons as well as the original reasons why I liked it. 
Both men fall off the top of the cage and hurt their willy onto the rope. And I think that is honestly one of the sore sucking things that you could ever do. Maybe they should have just walked out the door. Well, here's the thing. Because uh, there's no penis slapping there's machine. No, that's true. I don't <laughs> Unless know. Unless Trish is going to... I don't know. You've got to be careful. I just think... But I just feel, okay, with the door, they should be made to solve a puzzle or a riddle. <laughs> You answer me, like, these riddles three. Or like a witness, like at the door and the yeah. witness, they have to quickly, solve. Quickly do it before the guy comes and attacks me. And it me. changes every time. Yeah, like it's randomised, yeah. You know? I think, Joe, that you've got you've got uh, something here that you could trademark, you know. I think so. Or they put like Omos outside the door and you have to fight a bigger wrestler to escape the cage. I know, I'm more scared about Tristratus than Omos in this instance because... Anytime I see someone get the cage door swung in their head, I think of like when China did it to make. Oh my god! And gave him that horrible concussion. Yeah, and yeah. obviously this is a lot easier, and you know Trish is a lot, a lot less likely to fucking swing for the fences than I guess China yeah. was in 1996 or whatever. But oh man, he gets bumped right in the head. We get uh, Lena coming out then to oh, interfere. I hate this so much. So I, I have an explanation that might make this a little really. <laughs> I was gonna write down. Uh, I have a note here. In my notes is that we have to debate the spanking that happens. We here. will. We will. Okay. So Leah comes out, mm. and her arch rival Trish Stratus is there. Yeah. And she attacks her, and mm. she Just spanks her. Yeah. She attacks her, and she whips her with a leather belt mm. on her lower back, mm. and then removes Trish's top. Uh, and exposing the fact that she is no longer got a it, top, pulls it off, and then sexily. starts hitting her, spanking with her. the uh, the leather strap even on her more, bum. and then Trish runs away. Yeah, and I've tried to describe that in the least sexual way. I possible. know you did. Yeah, very passive language there for the, for the benefit of those at home. Mm-hmm. So, Neutral observer language. Yeah, well, I know it's always my favorite match and all that. And yeah, I feel like, uh, uh, the reason why- <laughs> actually uh, in kayfabe. Well, actually, Joe, the thing is, is mm-hmm. that you've actually yeah. covered what is the lead into this mm-hmm. because we did the Trish episode. Yeah. I showed you one of my other favorite matches of all time, which mm-hmm. is the six-man tag from the same pay-per-view earlier in the night, which is Lee and the Hardy Boys versus Trish and TNA, mm. where at the end of that match, even though she lost, Trish Stratus mercilessly whipped Lee to the point she gave her a horrible bruise. It was all like, ah! And it was really shocking. And it was like, oh my God. This is Lee just coming out and getting her revenge and her feud, her bitter feud with Trish Stratus. Not the casual titillation you might have assumed it was. All right, you explain what happened then from your vantage point. Lisa comes out. Yeah. Takes off her belt. Oh, man! Starts to undress. <laughs> what happened there? What happened? I don't understand. My Basically, voice. <laughs> starts to remove her clothing, is, is what I'm saying here, by removing her belt. She starts to spank Trisha's bottom... And you can tell it's her How bottom. How it was the lower back, Joe? No, it was the bottom because it made that signature latex sound. Trish was wearing latex pants or PVC pants, whatever. And it made that proper whoosh that only happens if you spank latex with leather. Um, then she sexually pulls off Trish's top while Trish like wriggles around on the floor. And then while they're on commentary talking about Trish being made to bark like a dog for Vince McMahon, mm-hmm. she's... That's not happened at this point. Well, I swear they say that. Well, there's a moment on commentary that very... Oh, it's because JR was like, she's whipping her like a dog. Yeah. And Jerry Law was like, she's no dog, JR. She's, yeah. she's a thoroughbred. Right. Okay. So it doesn't even matter that it happened before because it still made me think, you know, oh. me as a time traveling wrestling fan, it re... <laughs> traumatized me no i'm kidding it didn't traumatize me but it it did like remind me of that horrible segment 
where Which you she... still you still have like, I hate it. Even though you you know, I would say that's Joe from twenty fifteen who first made those comments. Yeah. It's obviously very different in tastes and sensibilities. But I still know. hate it. I still, you still hate I it, think even it's though shit. you love Vince and have said that Vince is sexy on occasion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the titillization and the sexualization of wrestling can be a good thing if it's done properly and equitably. Equitably. So here's what I, here's my argument though, because what? this isn't just like way the girls are rolling like ECW where it's like ah the girl in in the low cut dress is about to wrestle and the girl in the bikini and they both take off their high heels and roll around the floor, and like that's just like baseline pure like fucking wrestling promoter giving male fans something to gaze at, mm-hmm. but like obviously this is done for the fucking the male gaze or whatever. Yeah. But it is like a few that these two have, and it's leading on from so a match they had earlier on what? the night. So does that not give it place in a in a wrestling show? Oh, okay. Let's let's try this one out then, shall we? Um, part of the Blackpool Combat Club. I think it'd be a really good idea, actually, if um if <laughs> if Utah, as part of his you know feud joining the Combat Club, had just come in and taken off all Moxie's clothes and started spanking his bottom, and then John Moxie could have rolled around the floor and then been made to crawl out of the arena on his hands and knees. So you're making in lot, his underwear. So you're making up people excited for different reasons. So right. basically That's saying, all I'm yeah, saying is you want, I want your quality. I want equality. I think I think stuff like that is you know it's very sexualized. And I think wrestling can have a place where some of its content is sexualized. It's just so shit that it's only happening to female wrestlers who want to be wrestlers. Like, I don't even mind when it happens to female wrestlers who come from a background of doing, you know, stripping. And they don't have an aspiration to anything. They don't, no. They want to go on and do Playboy and do porn and stuff. And that's absolutely fine. In which case, you're getting great experience and you're getting your name out there and it's fantastic. But if you're a professional wrestler like Lita or, you know, you're in the training to become a professional wrestler It's the image of Michael Hayes being like, go out there and take her top off and whip her on the butt. It's shit. Like, you wouldn't expect, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin to, like, fucking wriggle around in his little pants, even though we all want to see that. You get the Miz instead. Yeah, well, we don't want that as much, do we? <laughs> because <laughs> well, no, we get f- it all the time. It's, like, always the same guy doing it all over again. And it's, like, it's not very... It's Again, it's not a quality if it's just one guy who's... Ah, oh, I just don't like it. So you didn't like that this was such a big part of the matching? Because, like, this yeah. is treated like, you know... Fucking, you know, they, they they pop the fucking crowd. Like, what happens after this gets a bigger pop, but this is, other than that, the biggest pop in the match. I think it completely detracted. Really? Like, even if I was okay with the sexualization of, of only women in wrestling, I would still not like this because it's got nothing to do with this match. But what's it got to do with Rikishi? Like, yeah. in my opinion, Rikishi should fucking walk out that cage door and send them both home because, like, it's just, like, distracting from his match. And it's just, like... It's disrespectful when you do this. And, like, they've even got Val Venus there, who is already sexualized, unfortunately, for the rest of us. That's true. He's a former porn star in kayfabe. Could have had someone come in and do something like that with him. Mm -hmm. But no, it's just the women wrestlers, and it's shit, and it's not even... Yeah, I just hate it. Well, well, thank you for explaining it, least. You yeah. know, I feel like it's worth it's worth taking the time to explain because I would say this point in time, you know, I think some of it is you know to do, to to relate it to Rikishi and come back around to that. It's like you know that stink face thing, which then led to like stink faces with women. Like, you know, WWF was already very well sexualized by 1988, mm. let alone the year 2000. But I would say in many respects, the year 2000 was like peak sexualization for for the the women wrestlers particularly yeah definitely that in terms of them not having segments which are sexualized and instead doing matches which they add 
sexualization too. Yeah, because like, 2000 is the, the first year we had like bra and panties matches and things yeah. like that. Or like, you know, you know, I'd say Trish Stratus in the year 2000 probably had her top ripped off like 20 times like, yeah. you know, on, on various events. Like it was a spot you would come to expect. Like. Yeah. Which, as you know, I enjoy very much as a horny 12 year old. It's just shit. I just like, you know, <laughs> at least with like the fashion show bits, whatever it's called, the Miss Rumble contests, they're not expected to wrestle. Like, it's hard enough to be a wrestler. It's hard enough to take your clothes off. To do both at once is really, really unfair. And it's mm. just like, if you're going to do that, if you're going to expect your talent of that, you should pay them so much more money than they are being given. Well, you certainly made that scene a lot less titillating than it was initially, TV. But let's just all think about my idea, which was to have Stone Cold Steve Austin take his clothes off. Yeah. Oh, oh, no. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm fixing to be embarrassed. And then you cover him in beer. Oh, Joe, whoa. Sexy, sexy. Now you're getting into it. Right? <laughs> and then we could have these moments with Trish and Lita and it not be weird. I did like, if one thing, this segment gave us, or this part of the match gave us the absolute gem of a line from King, which is, oh no, Val Venus is Trishless. <laughs> Aren't we all? The referee is down and Rikishi is heading up to the top of the cage. Mm-hmm. And it's like, right, case in point, you're gonna, you've climbed up very impressive. You're going to climb out now and win the match, right? And then Rikishi starts sidestepping. He's so slow. It's like fucking Hitman. Like I love it. Real gingerly. Like I think he could do it faster, but he's building up the crowd. Oh, yeah. He's like making them... Milking it. Yeah, exactly. He's making them wait for this. He's about to jump off the top of a fucking cage. Yeah, you don't better. rush it. Yeah. I, you know, Cody, here you go. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> Take your time. Also, look where you're going. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he sidesteps... He like kind of looks around. The crowd are basically filling in the blanks. Jr. just the fucking you know he's he's in on commentary with a man called the King, but Jr. is the King here with the lines here where he's like, no, don't do it. Like he's he's realizing what's gonna happen. He's like you're gonna regret it the rest of your career. No, don't do it. No, 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 Rikishi, no. And he dies off the top, and it's fucking incredible. Four hundred pounds, even if it's an exaggerated weight. If he's fucking three hundred pounds, that's still the most incredible thing. Like you can see from the way he's, he splashes, it's like his body is not designed to fall at that velocity. <laughs> it's a miracle he didn't break his fucking legs. I know because he lands on his feet. Like his his legs are so heavy. I wonder if it's because of that that they kind of almost he, he can't flip them back the way you would like in a typical splash. No idea. Just, I don't know how boom. he didn't break his shins. It's just incredible. Like, and it's nothing to do with his weight for me. It's just like the way he landed. Yeah. It's like generally in wrestling, you don't see people jump from that height and land on their feet because you are told not to do that. I mean, to do that as well and not to fucking kill the lad you're doing it to because yeah. I remember my mind being blown. I forget who it was. Actually, no, it was. It was when I was doing the fight like Apes Wrestling gig, right? Like, Got to talk to some wrestlers and ask them loads of questions and all that. Just fill in my blanks. I need to know. And I was asking, what's the worst move to take? And individually, both the lads I was working with told me, separately, both the lads I was working with told me, like, variations on a splash. One lad was like the 450 splash. You do mm. that, it's fucking, it, there's just no way to prepare yourself because yeah. the body is spinning so much that the velocity they gain that when they land on you, it's just knocks the wind out of you and like splashes generally speaking they're like if the person doesn't really know what they're doing and they put their weight on you it just fucking wins you mm. you get a big fucking bruise on your sternum mm. you're like ah! you know your heart fucking rate goes all over the place so yeah like the fact that he was able to do this and not absolutely maim the man he's working with like it looks incredible the fact that Val is bleeding so that Rikishi is you know he's also got a trickle 
It's just a big smear of blood on it. Yeah. And uh, I remember the next night, McFoley was like, the commissioner, he's like, I have a good authority that Val Venus had to be picked up with a spatula. And they're kind of like, <laughs> yay! The bad man nearly died. So we have the spectacle of a 424-pound man diving off the top rope. Taz comes in, knocks out Rikishi with a camera. And then Rikishi like gets his belt off and he starts spanking okay. Taz. And then he sexually removes okay. Taz's clothing. And then Taz is made to crawl out of the arena on his hands and knees in his underwear. By God, she's proven the point again, King. What has happened? <laughs> <laughs> so Val Venus squirms and crawls and gets like half a fucking fingernail on him, gets the pin... And even though Rikishi had the moment, Val keeps the championship in a very hard-fought, surprisingly bloody cage match, which there was obviously issues outside of the ring, and I was wondering what your thoughts are. Did did what you did what happened that you didn't like impact it so much that you didn't enjoy the match? How did you get on with this one as a whole? I did not enjoy this match particularly. Oh, I liked the spots involving Rikishi jumping off things. Mm, yeah, I mean, when they were up, when they were up top, that was impressive. Yeah, yeah, and just like in general, Rikishi was really good. Like I've I've got no criticism on Rikishi's performance in this match. It was really I, good. I liked early on the fact that Rikishi was so, it was kind of like they sold what it's like. You're in a big cage with a big man, and Val mm. kept going you know to the corners. You just grab him and throw him back down. Like yeah. they really put over. A big man in a cage as a, as a concept. Uh, I see. I think it's the cage that kind of really undid it for me. I don't think... To me, a big man in a cage is not something I'm like, yay! Yeah, the cage, it seems now, is like something that is actively working against you and yeah. doing a match. Like. It is, because... Especially on certain with certain styles of wrestlers as well, and I would include Rikishi in this, is because Flippy maybe isn't the right word, but he's really fast, and yeah. he moves around the ring with such velocity. Mm. You're, not, you're not hitting the ropes as you much You can't in a cage, do that yeah. in a cage. You just can't run the ropes, and you can't, like, jump off the top rope and do all those moves that, like, I really love to see him do most. Instead, you get, like... You know, a third of them, and they're from a higher distance. Right. Yeah. So, and you also can't really see them as well because there's a cage in the way. Yeah, the, 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 the visuals of the cage is, yeah. is always a bit difficult as well. And then this yeah. spot with Trish and Lita, and then Taz coming in. There's too many interferences. It was just it completely distracted from the whole thing. Did not like it. Fair enough. Say, yeah. Swinging a miss on my account. You yeah, know? I know. It's really weird and interesting it, it when happens. your favorites are not my favorites. Well, it happens. It's fine. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad because I don't want to be the guy who's just like assuming that you'll love everything I. I love yeah you know and i think lots of this now that I, th- I think about it in retrospective is that this feels like almost like kind of a snapshot of the glory years of like ah mcfoley's the commissioner and yeah rikishi's on the way up and taz is being used and trish and lee are feuding all like my favorite things yeah. as a kid so i think like yeah for me this was maybe on the indulgent side you know <laughs> and that's not before we talk about scene. party yeah a little bit so uh so gonna miss it. what's your what's your star rating then for this one i gave it a two that's all right sorry that's okay that's all... <laughs> no, <laughs> Je- you know what it's fine you know I- i'm i'm glad that you took the time to explain your perspective on it at least yeah. you know i see why yeah and i think it may be in the future i'm going to try and if it's a if it's a cage match, I'll really try to think outside the box. I thought this might have been outside the box, but I think it probably was less so than I realized. That it's, tricky door. I don't think Val Venus as well is the best opponent for. I just yeah, I think there are a lot of things going against 
this particular match for me. Yeah, I think, you know what, it was a combination of a feud that you maybe didn't get to see all of. And, you know, that was probably part of it too. I know loads of people, because, you know, I I gathered the tweets today. So this has come up as recommendations, yeah. Constantly as people's favourite, like one of of their favourite matches. So, you know, you're not alone in loving this. And I should say as well, the crowd reaction. Yeah, they love this too. They absolutely, Rikishi... What's amazing to see is at a pay-per-view and a SmackDown, you know, just two matches from Rikishi and all the dance segments that we'd seen and all that jazz as well. It's just how over the man was, yeah. you know, and just like, it's not, oh, they want to see him do the dance and see him do the stink face. You know, they're they're liking his wrestling. They're not liking him because he's a comedy character who does dancing. They're liking that as an aspect of him. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a great argument for more well-rounded wrestlers who have an entertaining aspect about them that doesn't necessarily define them entirely which is what we go on to the next chapter in rikishi's career so rikishi all throughout the year 2000 he's been built up it feels like they're associating with the rock more like the rock is saying hey this man's my cousin and there's a few times where like the rock has been beaten down when he's champion fucking rikishi he makes the save crowd goes you know goes absolutely crazy and now that you have at this point in time no McFoley. Stone Cold Steve Austin is, of course, as well. He's injured with his with his neck problems. There is a bit of a spot there, and it's feeling like maybe he's going to become one of the next top guys because the crowd are chanting his name and they love everything that he does. He's shown that he can be at that high level. Well, Steve Austin is gone because he's got problems with his neck. Uh, those problems stem back to his time wrestling with Owen Hart, and he broke his neck there. He had neck issues prior to that as well. But in kayfabe... You know why Stone Cold was written off? It wasn't because he was suffering from nagging neck injuries from years prior. The kayfabe reason Austin was gone? He was run over by a mysterious assailant in a car yes. at a wrestling show. So Survivor Series 1999, Austin got run over with a car. Stone Cold was just hanging out in a car park, standing still like a normal person does in the middle of the night. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine just going to an empty car park and you see Stone Cold Steve Austin standing there in silence, not even doing anything. You'd want to run his ass over as well, Joe yeah. Graham. Is that what you're saying? Fuck yeah, that's scary. Run him over. Yeah. And this is this is this is when you realise that men and women have got very different uh, <laughs> relationships with car parks at night. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I remember one time I went to a car park at night and there was like a barrier that was working on its own, and we were all like, "Wow, it's haunted. This is fun." <laughs> I don't think I've ever been in a car park at night on my own. I would, I would go so far out of my way to avoid car parks at night. Steve Austin obviously fell between the cracks. Yeah. You know, he was neither enthused, but he got ran over. So he was written off in November of 1999. We had a nearly an entire calendar year of Steve Austin not being on the show as a wrestler. But he was doing his kind of promos and stuff like that. For he? nine, ten months, he did. He came back for one night at like backlash to help the Rock out against the McMahons, yeah. and he was like clearly you know neck brace like you know in, in a bad way like you know he, he shouldn't really been there he put oh, on okay. weight he didn't look like he was in a good way so he then comes around like october time it's like right austin's coming back and he wants to find out who ran him over and like as a kid for me this was like who shot mr burns times yeah, a million. yeah absolutely because i cared about steve austin and I, I was like i want him back even i was familiar with stone cold being hit by a car and they did all these really great things like you'd have like the rest are starting to get paranoid because you know like i remember in 1998 austin would just come in and stun everyone just because and he's like i'm gonna come back i'm gonna ruin every fucking match and you'd have everyone from like right to censor being like no nah, i know you all think we'd be involved but no 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 not us we'd nothing to do with it and like all the obvious people like 
you know, The Rock or Triple H, you know, having alibis for the night or Vince McMahon having an alibi. Like, just people getting their defenses in line. Cops are showing up to interview people. Who could it be? It's The Rock's rental car, but The Rock reported his rental car stolen that night. Ah, what's happening? What's happening? Stone Cold's coming back. Mick Foley says he will find out who does it. You just have to trust me. Steve Austin is ruining everything from tag title matches to opening contests. He's just coming out in his hat and jeans and stunning everyone and hitting them with chairs. Mick Foley's like, please stop ruining the show. If you keep ruining the show, I'll have to suspend you. Austin stuns him because he thinks you're not going to find out who ran me over. So Mick Foley is like, right, I'll give me one week, I guarantee you I will find out who ran you over, Steve Austin. And we watched the few segments leading up to this, including where Shawn Michaels was accused of being the obvious guy who ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin. I want to give you a little flavour of, like, what what was going to happen. What do you think to these segments and the kind of atmosphere they created with them? I was disappointed, and I hate to say that, but it's because this whole, like, storyline is legendary uh, to the me. concept as a whole is a great great concept yeah it is execution leaves a bit to be desired it's, i think it's the only wrestling angle i was like aware of before this before like doing this podcast yeah um and then the fact that like i think you guys in the AE podcast were kind of covering this era when i first met you so i was very much aware of of this whole storyline and that rikishi was going to be the one revealed to have done it and i was just hoping for I don't know. Logic? I, yeah. I, uh, Impact? I mean, like, no, what, what, to be what, honest, I was hoping for Columbo. Oh. <laughs> I really wanted, like, Columbo to come out and sort this mess out. Foley does his best Columbo. He He's doesn't. straight up. No. Just one more thing. No. You suck, sons of bitches. <laughs> I was expecting, like, proper interviews, like, oh, sit down right. interrogations. Yeah, yeah. I wanted, like, evidence. I wanted, you know,. Opportunity, motive. motive. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted it to be actually like a proper mystery, As like taken to just seriously. Like in ring promos and interviews, which is kind yeah. of yeah. Like with the bit with Shawn Michaels, how much cooler would it have been if instead of in the ring you have like I know they're going to do it like that because it's Shawn Michaels and the fans want to see him in person, but like how much cooler would it have been if they'd had it in like a backstage room with like a single light on a string, <laughs> like and Mick Foley there with like a torch, being like, "Come on now, Shawn Michaels, tell me the truth." slamming his hand on the table <laughs> tell me you did it and sure michael's just being all cool and like well this is why i didn't oh well instead you got lots of in-ring wrestling promos no and another thing i wanted was to go back to the scene of the crime mick foley with a magnifying glass looking at bits of evidence you like wanted to phoenix right it like. absolutely yeah. look at it in 3d mick yeah. feel the vibrations check the the shoe size of the footprints <laughs> so like you said you were aware of this, this you know this this kind of the storyline, the, the the reveal and all that. When we were watching all the stuff with Rikishi dancing and things like that, was it in your mind, like as someone who knows what comes later on, like were you thinking like he's going to be running over Steve Austin eventually? That's that's the arc we're going towards. Like did oh. that kind of dwell on you at all? Or no, yeah. but like I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that, is it? Because no. it's like it's just something they made up. We re- like- oh well, you you don't the fucking half of it at this point. So Rikishi is in the ring with The Rock and Mick Foley comes out. He's like, I finally have figured it out. Here's the big reveal. And you're all, everyone's thinking it's going to be The Rock that he's fingering or even himself. <laughs> it's me! Even Mick- though he'd previously already proved that it wasn't him. And so Mick swerves us all by turning to the man who's also in the ring and goes, yeah, it's Rikishi. He's the one who did it. So anticlimactically as well. There was no like build up or tension 
The only thing that could build it up was that they had said earlier one of the clues was that it was a blonde man who had been um, seen behind the, the, the wheel of the car. And the way Foley was able to figure it out was that he interviewed all the superstars and Grandmaster Sexay and Scotty Too Hotty when asked what was happening. He said, oh, we were chilling with our dog Rikishi all night long. And then he realised that that was actually before Rikishi had debuted as Rikishi oh. Fat 2. So, and then it revealed a Too Cool. And that, yeah... It's too cool, right? Yeah, they'll get their own episode their their day in court. But they covered for a man who did attempted murder, all right? They covered for Rikishi. They tried to, to, to confuse the investigation of Commissioner McFoley. And I don't think enough fans talk about their complicit nature uh, mm. in that. They almost let that man get run over like a dog in the street. So how dare you, yeah. uh, Brian Christopher and Scotty Tuati? But like, the noise the crowd makes... When he's like, it's Rikishi, and it's like, oh! Yeah. Huh? Like, have you ever heard an arena go, huh? Before, that's what it sounds like, <laughs> folks. It's incredible. But Rikishi's got his reasons. And you his, yeah. were actually impressed with the reason. When he said it, you were like, oh, okay. Yeah, his reasons do make sense. So what are, what are Rikishi's alleged reasons for doing his, it? His reason is that he did it for The Rock. And <laughs> he did it because... It's so modern as well. I can't believe they did this. Um, Of course, it's a heel thing because it would be in WWE. But he basically says, in this company, we work under the white man. And it's the white man's opportunity and the white man's dream. And it's, you know... And everybody's saying this, you get JR came and like, no! No! <laughs> what? what? No! But I'm colorblind, JR! Where? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Rikishi basically says, like, look at all of the champions. Like, they're all white. Like, And, and even, you know, from my father's generation, you know, with the exception of him and his, his family, like, they were all white men. They were all white men who were champions and it's always white men who get the titles and it's, it's not fair. And... You know, now you've got Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's the new white dream who everyone fucking loves. And meanwhile, you've got The Rock and The Rock is actually better. And so I was just doing it for you. And it's, you know, in the time when Austin was gone, The Rock was already a star, but he became like the top Mega guy. star, yeah. And like the idea that someone would do this and it like kind of implicates a face, but the face is like, I didn't ask you to do this. I didn't want you to do this. I didn't need you to do this. Like that's an interesting hook because then you got Rikishi doing these interviews where he's like... My, you know, fans won't even look at me anymore. They spit yeah. at me in the airport. But you know who's really proud? My family. They, mm-hmm. I've elevated them. They're so proud of what I've done for our people, for our culture, for for our, our wrestling family, for our name, what it means now. It's just a shame that The Rock didn't take some of those acting classes at this point in his career because he cannot sell this segment for shit. He looks so miserable. He just looks well, sad. See, Joey, I don't know if you know this, but The Rock transcends race as he's he, Yeah, he's like, introduced. he's so confused by Rikishi talking about white men. He's like, what is that? Like, I've never heard of race before because I am not a race. <laughs> I have, I've transcended it, yeah. allegedly. I th- think like... He just looks sad and I wish he looked angry because what I would have loved to come out of this is The Rock to go, are you fucking serious? I never wanted you to do this and now you've got Stone Cold Steve Austin on my back. I don't need that shit. You Come to me. We're going to deal with this, you and me together in a match. Yeah, it feels like the problem with this straight away is that you were setting it up as like the Rock and Rikishi, because that is the obvious yeah. feud from this. But also, but, Steve Austin has to get his revenge. So, and it just makes you the can Rock... think whatever's left of Rikishi ain't gonna be much of a feud for the yeah. Rock. Like. <laughs> and it makes the Rock look weak, in my opinion. The way he responded to Rikishi was very much like, "Oh, that wasn't very nice of him, was it?" But like, it's the Wait. year two thousand, Joe, and I think even in twenty twenty two, I wouldn't trust many wrestling companies. You know, maybe there's some wrestlers I would, but wrestling companies, yeah, and bookers and whatnot. 
I would struggle to see a place where I could see a story like this be played out in a way that is like, I mean, it's not even guess for me to say because, like, you know, I, I, I don't know if this could be played out in a satisfactory manner. I would think even in 2022, even if you could have an ideal, you know, wrestlers you think could handle such a difficult topic and a booker mm. who could understand the nuance that you would need to tell a story like this. Mm. Because I think you can't just do it be like good guys and bad guys like they're doing here. Like they're oversimplifying well, it, you know? I think they can to an extent because running someone over with a car is so evil that it kind of steps aside from the racial matter, which I believe, you know, like all good heels, I believe that Rikishi believes he's in the right. And yeah, you, know, you need even, to have the justification. Even yeah. I think he's in the right. Like, it doesn't mean I think that, you know, if, if this were real, I don't think he should run someone over. But like, I think he's well-meaning in his, his goals. So that I think in that respect, they could do it quite easily because it's not like anyone's going to side with Rikishi because he ran over someone. Yeah, no, that's true. I just I think <laughs> it was ambitious is, is, yeah. is, is to say the very least. I think it would be, if someone in 2022 said, we're going to do this, like I would think, you know, a story which is about, you know, not just I'm a character who's experienced racism. This man's gimmick here, this fucking storyline is, we're talking about generational institutional racism. Yeah. Like, that's a big fucking... That's a big enchilada to take a bite out of if we're going to have a fun wrestling match at the end of it, you I'd know? I'd love to know whose idea it was. Jesus Because it's, it's so beyond anything anyone I know at WWE today. It's, like, beyond their capabilities. I mean, the thing that surprises me most about it, even more so than, like, why would they opt to do such a fucking spicy angle that you know they're not equipped, you know, anyone, writers or wrestlers, to deal with at this point in time. But, like, why would you pick this guy who's just, like, the obvious... Not necessarily the heir apparent, but like one of your top three or four guys, you can put the title on him and make him a big deal. Mm. And I just don't know how you look at Rikishi and the success he's had, and also more importantly, the failures he's had before that success, and go, he needs to be a big, mean fucking Samoan dude again, like a, just a, a killer heel, no fun, no smile, and no dance, and just beating people up. And it's like, you know, he kind of did that already in his mm. fucking 20s, you yeah. know, and he did it again in his early 30s. It's like, you know, and I feel, I remember I saw a comment from some wrestling writer way back in the day where they were like talking about it was Samoa Joe being signed by WWE potentially. This would have been like 2010 or 11, mm-hmm. some old podcast or something like that. And they said words to the effect of, oh man, Samoa Joe, the way he is, that's like what Vince and the gang wanted Rikishi to be back in 2000. They wanted that like strong killer the silent fucking assassin mm. you know and Samoa Joe's got that meanness in his eyes and he's got that fucking ferocity and that mm. intensity Rikishi does have his own intensity but he's not that kind of guy he's not the dude like the fucking guy who's gonna torch you in the ring what is various you know evil wrestling holes and he's not got time yeah I just he's got better things to be doing like other than the fact that they're both Samoan and big dudes like I don't see it like I do see the similarities I mean I I personally do see the similarities to Samoa Joe there were moments where Rikishi was really scary Mm. where I did see that similarity and I was like god he's intense he's handsome you know like there were definitely indicators that reminded me of Samoa Joe but like not to the point where I thought either man was remotely treading on any either man's toes like they're very yeah. much their own thing and i don't think samoa joe could do rikishi's gimmick and i don't think rikishi could do samoa joe's gimmick it's I, they're yeah. different there's certain gimmicks i think should be tweaked and not completely wiped yeah and generally speaking i always take it from cole cabana's playbook of like you know if you're the wrestler who makes it on tv with a dancing gimmick or something like that you're sword for life because you can show up to any weekend you know local indie show 
do the dance. Do the dance, yeah. You know, one, one or two punches and you'll get your payday and people will be just as happy to see you. And I think, like, Rikishi, it's just... Of everything we've seen so far, I think that it's easy for you to probably see that those of us as kids at the time were not queuing up excited to fucking see Rikishi, the lad we like to dance and pretend to be as. Like, no one was taking my glasses and asking to be Rikishi and dance after this, folks. No. It's pretty grim times in the playground if you were a Rikishi fan. But I feel that's more to do with WWE's boredom of its own storylines and oh. characters like, oh. <laughs> it's like they had something good and they were like yeah but i'm vince mcmahon and i'm bored now because well I, I get bored easily we'll get through this next match or last match and then remind me to tell you about them getting bored with storylines again okay. because i think if i tell you the next bit before we do this match you're not going to want to cover this next match so our next match we're going to be talking about is Rikishi versus Stone Cold Steve Austin from No Mercy in 2000. And Rikishi, not only did he do it for The Rock, he's doing it because he's got all sorts of nasty tricks and jibes he's going to throw at Stone Cold Steve Austin to build up to this one, Joe. So Stone Cold Steve Austin is patting about in the ring, talking about Rikishi and how upset he is that he ran him over with his car. And let me tell you, it's a five-star performance from Steve Austin yeah. who literally screams so much he loses his place. He's like, I got to my own in my chest, you my chest, so big as a man can do, stop Steve Austin. <laughs> yes, I'm excited for the wrestling match. This was Austin's first match back as well after, oh, really? after injury. So then Rikishi pops up on the Titan Tron and he's in the car park and he's like, Stone Cold Steve Austin, I did run you over and I would do it again. Oh, and also he's wearing, we have to talk about the fit here now because I was like, do you like Rikishi's fat wear? And you were like, you're very rude, Kevin, man. It's like unexpectedly like really mean. Suddenly I was like, who is this man in my house who's being really mean? Horrible 2012, Kevin. And then you were like, no, look at the screen. His clothes literally say fat wear as in P-H-A-T. It's his own streetwear brand, which unfortunately debuted a month before it was revealed. He ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, no. So if you know of any heavy set would-be murderers in your life. Is it a plus size range? Yeah, plus size range. Fucking love that. I love that. I hope it's still going. It's re- oh, it looks awesome. Hey, I want, I, look, someone sort me out with some fat wear. Yeah. Give, me, give me a pair of lugs to pair with that. Yeah, I'll fucking hit the streets. Fucking <laughs> look, looking fly, yeah. So, yeah, Rikishi's in the parking lot and he's like, come on, Stone Cold, let's have this match right here, right now. Because they're in the, the Joe Lewis arena, the yeah, very arena he was run over in. So he's banned. Rikishi's banned from going into the arena by Commissioner Foley. But he's like, but he didn't say anything about you coming to me into this parking lot so then stone cold's like oh, i'm coming over there. and he marches into the parking lot and then he's looking around standing around in the empty parking lot on his own like he does like he likes to do it's his hobby as we've established i like as well when they did the video package for this match they like showed the footage of this bit and they were like went whoosh, like to yeah. the past of two, flashback what's sorry of nine months prior whoosh. and then this car comes careening out of nowhere and swerves right by him and Rikishi's massive head is sticking out of the window with his arm and he's like got this <laughs> cheesy smile and he's like hey, 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 stone cold Steve Austin I'm gonna run you over in my car and I'm gonna beat you next week at the wrestling match and then he kind of like sucks his head into the car and he's like yeah, it had big wacky racist vibes in the terms of like he was a very large character in a that very was small so, car. In a very small car that seemed like to a cartoonish. 
this is the largest automobile I could afford <laughs> for Metamass. <laughs> I just loved seeing him try and move in and out of that small... Because it's hard to go in and out of a window. Like, the arm, your average arm size is too big for to climb out of a window. And you've got Rikishi, a very large man, trying to lean out of this window very cool and suave. And Austin's like, shit, like he's selling <laughs> it like it's the fucking... Yeah. It's just him getting back in. was so... I just want to... They did that again as well. Another point Good. where Rikishi drove after Austin and he had you had the sledgehammer and he was leaning at the window and he's like, I'm coming to get you stone cut. Like a drive-by hammering. I just want to see Rikishi leaning out of various small windows. Yeah, I'm not sure what him leaning out of. Like him leaning out of like a transit van would be really fun. Like, you know, something like that. <laughs> I don't know, he, have a porthole on yeah, a boat. With the, the arm there, it's, <laughs> yeah. he had big van sunglasses, energy. Like, yeah. The man's going to help you move in ways you didn't even anticipate. <laughs> like, you know? So here we are, no holes barred. And let me tell you, the video package that hypes this one up is one of my all-time favourites. When you combine ridiculous verbiage like... I would run over Steve Austin again and then slap him in the face like the dog that he is. <laughs> and you combine that with classical music and Steve oh Austin. Oh my God, magical. Being like, I've been waiting to kill Rikishi my whole life. Austin's got pictures of Rikishi all over his house. Yeah, he says he's got like two in the bathroom. So if he's pissing or shitting, he can look at Rikishi and go, I'm going to kill that man. Well, you think that's what they're for, but they're actually pictures of his bum. Oh, it's for a different reason. My bum spiration. <laughs> yeah, I do my deep hip thrusts so I can look more like my hero Rikishi. Austin's theme when he came out, you were not uh, you're not don't a fan know. of Stone Cold's. Uh, Why does he come out to Disturbed? It's like your Mars attacks. No. You like Disturbed, I think. I do like Disturbed. It's just not right for Stone Cold. Aww. He's a guy who listens to country music. It's, I can guarantee you Stone Cold hates Disturbed as a band. Why would he have it as an entrance music? The reason I like it is because it's a Disturbed remix of his of his old theme. And because he's like particularly psychotic or whatever at the moment and hell-bent on vengeance, I think it suits the character. No. What do you think of Rikishi's entrance music? It's pick- alright. It's not you- as good as the two cool music. Did you-, did you pick out what the theme of the song was? No. Okay. I'm going to give you the lyrics here if you don't mind reading these out. So this, this by the way, was the number one thing that people were most interested in when this happened uh, in school. Everyone came up to me when I watched the pay-per-view and they are like, what theme did Rikishi have? And I had to inform them that he had this weird rap song called Bad Man. Come on, Joe, give me, give me some Bad Man. This is interesting. It's a, lot, a very revealing piece. Jesus. I was expecting you to read it out. Oh, no, I will. Yes, I will. I was just like a couple of words ahead of it. Because I was only going to read out the first paragraph. Yeah, so I figured. It's quite long. But the later paragraph is really dark. All right, give me the first paragraph. Give me a taste of the later paragraph as okay. well. Okay. So the first paragraph is, I'm a bad man, given bad men, bad looks. Prince among thieves and crooks, want bad women, bad cars, bad runs, bad dudes. I'm making my own I rules. Got the bad runs, baby. I like that he's got bisexual energy in his lyrics. Like he wants <laughs> bad women and bad dudes. He's, yeah. Don't know what he means by bad runs. Do you mean like toilet? That's runs? what I thought. You got the runs real bad. I, like. I want bad runs. He's a fucking nihilist. I want the shits. Then the next bit is very Samoa Joe. Shush. Go to sleep now. Shh, yeah. Go to sleep now. Oh yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, very, very smart, Joe. But yeah, then the later bit. Go on, give it to me. I'm not going to read it all out because it's quite long. It's 
also very violent. It's about guns and murder and oh, stuff. Jesus. And like roaming the streets and like the streets changed me and I've been fucked up ever since and pointing um, a gun in a little boy's mouth. It's really fucked up. Pointing a gun in a little boy's mouth? Killers ran in his house, tied his spouse, cocked the ammo back in the little boy's mouth, been fucked Jesus up ever since. Jesus Christ, Ricky! Scared she. murderer, brought me and bust me a gun ever since, roamed the streets, no love, the streets, the streets changed me. And that's why I ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, that's a dark fucking verse. Yeah. Jeez, I hope he gets to the ring nice and quick. We don't have to hear any of those second or third verses I there. I know! It's not very... PG, is Jim, it? Jim Johnson, you're all right, dude. Everything okay, like you know, the fucking dark side of the theme. He's definitely just watched The Wire. He's like, yeah, getting inspiration. Like, I tell you what, uh, Rikishi is really trying here. He's given the fucking mean look. He mm. comes out with the sledgehammer. He is not really booze very strongly though when he comes out. He is because he's correctly holding the sledgehammer, and oh! the audience appreciates that fact. I see. They get it. They're like, that's a man who knows how to do hard labor. I thought it was very disrespectful, Mick Foley's entrance music with the car crash sound. <laughs> Come on now, a bit soon, isn't now. it? Yeah, he wants to be declared the winner because Austin hasn't shown up yet. Uh, <laughs> which I, I love that, that he's like, I'm a merciless killer. Also, I'm a cheater and I want to win without wrestling. <laughs> it's kind of falling apart at the seams already. Austin shows up and uses his car as a weapon is the safest way to describe what he his, does here. His car is all battered and broken from Rikishi beating it with the sledgehammer last week and then he comes out and he tries to run over Rikishi. Yeah, it is uh, remarkably similar this match in some ways to Steve Austin versus Kevin Owens in the recent WrestleMania Yeah, in that it's a lot of brawling around with Steve Austin in a t-shirt and shorts they kind of brawl through the crowd and there's some weapon shots and bits Someone of Someone pours beer on Rikishi which is very disrespectful and They're rude. They're throwing all shit at him. Like I when they go into the crowd like he's been pelted with stuff. Poor fucking guy. Like if you're going to do it to Ivan do it to Stone Cold he's going to be covered in beer in a second anyway. Yeah. But also as well like you know they're out wrestling in the, in the crowd you see Austin he's wearing all black he takes a bump on, on, on the outside he's mm. covered in dirt. Ugh. Rikishi's all sweaty and sticky and oily just covered in fucking shy is. Really, and he he just gets beaten up really bad here. Yeah, he's um, Stone Cold's whipping him with his belt. Been a lot less of a sexy way than Trish and Lita. It's very much on his back, and you can see welts on Rikishi's back. Yeah, he's he's covered in all sorts of marks and all that. He starts bleeding. Uh, Austin gets him in this hangman spot with the rope and the uh, the ring apron. He basically yeah he he hangs the man, which was um, as as extreme of an image as you can muster up in a wrestling match. And then he pulls out the chair and fucking hell, I counted. I think there was eight in total that I got here. There was a lot, lot, lot more than I remembered. And he took him right on the head. Yeah, he did. You know, he wasn't handcuffed or anything like that, but Jesus Christ, right. those were stiff. Yeah, horrible. He looks kind of like exhausted as well, Rikishi, in this one. Like, you know, by the time he's swinging the hammer towards the end, mm. he's like breathing hard just because he's not had a chance to catch himself and... I don't think it's really good when it's like a shaky angle that you think, oh, this character doesn't really work. And then it's like the match happens and it's like, he doesn't look really good in the match. Mm. Like it feels like everything has been working against him now and he's done nothing but beforehand prove that he is capable. Yeah. And now it's like, he's been given excuses, which they've concocted that, oh, you're not good enough now, Mm. you know, because you're in a match where you just get the shit knocked out of you and it's 100 miles a second. 
he hasn't got a chance to catch his breath like yeah it's crap isn't it because like i'd love to see some of that rikishi that we got against triple h in that match but it's not it's not allowed to be competitive and this no. is like you know the stuff that people always labeled that like roman reigns and john cena and hulk hogan brother but like you know austin had plenty of times where he just came out and he completely fucking snuffed someone out and this is one of these moments it's the point where he's wearing jr's hat swinging the chair with a big <laughs> smile on his face it's like all right you're not taking this seriously anymore are you and it's at this man's expense and also, there was a point, another chair came out that you were very impressed with. I've got a quote from Joe. Oh, a lovely blue chair. Oh, it was a nice blue chair. Which I think it was you were just trying to find nice moments in this dour fucking, I don't know, prolonged murder that we saw of someone Trying in the to ring. focus on the chairs and not the shots of the chairs to the heads. Yeah, that's better, isn't it? Like, oh, a nice blue chair. I liked when Giving he... that man a concussion. <laughs> I liked when they... Uh, Popped in uh, Steve Austin's pickup truck and went for a little bit of a drive. Oh yeah, he put Rikishi in the back of the pickup truck. And then he, he drove up the ramp, just like this year's WrestleMania, yeah. except not on a pickup truck. And then he drives outside and then he pulls Rikishi out. Of, and he's on the road, basically. And he just dumps him in the road. And he's going to like run him over when the police magically appear. Yeah, tell me what you think happens because... I, I have been trying since I was like 12 years old to explain to people what happened in this bit and I don't think I've ever really figured it's it out. It's bullshit wrestling is what it is. it is. The police magically appear because and it's wrestling. Then they all, all arrest Austin they all arrest because Austin for some reason. he ran into uh, into uh, into uh, into one of their cars as opposed to Rikishi. Right, yeah. So it all ends the- in a no contest, I guess? You know what? They could have done one tiny change and made this whole thing make sense to me which is have like who's it on commentary? Uh, JR and and King. King, right. I would have had JR go on commentary. One second, King, I gotta make a phone call yeah, to the someone's police. Someone's gonna call the cops, you know. Hello? Oh my god, we've got a big fight out here. He's gonna, oh no, he's gonna run him over with his car. He's gonna kill him or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. then they arrest him for attempted manslaughter rather than, we happen to be passing by all 20 cop vehicles. Well, that, that was the argument. The argument was at the time was like, they arrested him because he tried to kill Rikishi. And then yeah. the other argument was no. They arrested. The other argument was no. They only arrested him because he ran into a cop car, which, as we all know from Grand Theft Auto, is immediate three star wanted right in, and you're going <laughs> to be they, taken down. He ran into the cop car because they swerved out in front of him. Like that's an accident caused by them. Them, yeah. I know what you mean. There needs to be an internal investigation into the driving standards at the police. Okay. Look, it, it is not much in the way of a of a match. It is probably, arguably, is the biggest match of Rikishi's career. The following month, he would take on The Rock in a match that had, unsurprisingly, little to no heat whatsoever. The Rock beat him summarily in, in, in like, ten minutes or thereabouts. So it's like, you know, the man's given a character that doesn't work and immediately gets back-to-back big losses. They show you're not at that level, even though it's meant to be a main event push. Mm. So the one thing I'd ask you then is, when given it a rating and bearing it in mind... There was an element of this, I guess, is meant to be like a cathartic Steve Austin's gotten his revenge. So maybe consider from that viewpoint if we're trying to be very nice. But how did you get on with this match, which I argue is less of a match than what Kevin Owens and Steve Austin probably actually did at WrestleMania 38, now that I think about it. It's funny kind of going over this match now knowing what people think about this angle. Right, yeah, Because I didn't realise when we watched this yesterday... That people don't like this. No, they hate. They hate. They it. hate this. Yeah, and I didn't realize that people hate Rikishi's heel run in general. Oh, it's I very see. unpopular, at least with our circles. Yeah, yeah. 
I actually gave this four stars out of five. What? What happened? Why? <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It was just fun. It was just fun, wasn't it? It's like a good act. Like, there's a clear story. Rikishi ran over Stone Cold yep. Steve Austin with his car. Stone Cold Steve Austin is taking his revenge by running him over with his car. And it wasn't too long. It was only like right? seven or eight minutes. They did some great crowd brawling. Yeah. They did a couple of good moves. It was, like, as you said, it was short. There was a lot of, like, it was really well paced. There was lots of stuff going on when you kind of felt it. Crowd were at that fever pitch yeah. for most of the event, actually, which is... is exciting. Yeah. Genuinely, the only thing I would say that kind of took me out of it was all the chair shots. I hated them. And that that's Rik- the only thing that detracted it from being a five-star match for me. Rikishi's lack of offense has always been kind of dispiriting for me. It is dispiriting, yeah. The, the fact, though, that he is able, in spite of the fact that I think there's a few moments he is struggling a little bit. The fact that he's able to keep pace with this, you know, blistering offense from mm. Austin. You know, I think anyone who's going to be the first person who wrestles Austin was going to be, you know, yeah. absolutely fodder. fodder. But it's just, why would you make the man fodder? And then, you know, you've meant to do this big angle. And there was no chat really of the white hope for the, no, the race I angle bet. here. I bet there wasn't. You know, that was pretty much dropped immediately. And now I can tell you why people hate this angle even more now, Joe. Because it turns out after the fact, when Rikishi tries to run over Steve Austin, he fucks it up, damn it. He tries to beat Steve Austin match, he fucks it up, damn it. He tries to beat up uh, uh, The Rock, he fucks that up, damn it. In Survivor Series, it's then revealed Triple H was actually the mastermind all along. And that Rikishi was just a hitman for hire. And Triple H ordered Rikishi and paid him to run over Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he did that because uh, he wanted to become the top star in the World Wrestling Federation. That's how he was able to marry the boss's daughter and become champion, take it all over. So Rikishi went from being like, you know, conflicted martyr who, who's trying to strike a, a, a note for his maligned in kayfabe and in real life, you know, people, the Samoan wrestling That's heritage. And instead it's like, he's a thug off the street, you Triple H pop some money in and he's like go right over the side he goes yeah sure thing and he just becomes Triple H's henchman he's like That's a, a so mid-level well, baddie because like in kayfabe then oh, in kayfabe then what Triple H goes yeah Rikishi I want you to take take the burden for this one man and Rikishi's like okay yeah what why should I what's my reason like why well, should I tell everyone why I'm doing this oh, oh I don't yeah. know just make it a race thing yeah. I don't give a shit yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah I'll do that then and make sure you take the Rock's car keys as well because yeah. then it'll implicate him there was actually part before they revealed Triple H where Rikishi was like there's the man who gave me his car keys he points at the Rock he's like the Rock's the man who told me to yeah. he's the mastermind so it's like they had Five different fucking ideas. Oh my god. And before you know it, Rikishi, you know, I showed you him at Hell in the Cell getting the choke slam off the top of the cage from The Undertaker. And I was shocked with that. You know, he was the kind of the sixth wheel in that match. He didn't seem like a big deal at that point. It was like, well, you've lost all these people. You know, you're not even a guy who tried to kill some years, a guy who, like, was told to do it. Went, oh, okay. And you didn't do it properly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, you know, that match, he takes that big spot. He takes the choke slam off the top. And I showed it to you. And, you know, it was impressive enough. He lands on the, the big hay and, you know, goes all foof. I remember everyone was just like, oh, well, it's not like when Mick Foley fell through the cages or fell off the cage or when Shawn Michaels fell off the cage. It's not real because he fell into hay. And he said in a shoe interview, always, oh, you know, take this stuff with a pinch of salt, you know, kayfabers and workers and all that. But he said that that injured him, that spot, because they removed the suspension from the van so that it would make more of an impact and kind of a... What, did they think the hay would protect him? Well, they figured that they had had padding and stuff in the back with hay, but what happened was because the suspension was removed, when he hit the truck, it went... So it made a big, like, noise, but he got hurt. 
And yeah, he was he was then put into a tag team with Haku, the toughest man in wrestling. But it was just kind of like you could tell we're we're at that point in SmackDown now where you, you could tell he's just he's injuries are piling up on him, all yeah. these little nagging injuries, and his weight is creeping up. Mm-hmm. And the one sad thing about this is that they did do a moment. It was in like May, where you know they were like you know using him as the henchman or whatever, and he was meant to you know, just just go beat up the Undertaker. You're a henchman, says Vince and Stephanie and all that. And Stephanie accidentally costs him the match, and then he turns face and he gives Stephanie the stink face, and it's like, oh my god, Rikishi's a good guy again. Ah, Stephanie got the stink face. But his shoulder injury was so bad, it's like, sorry, I have to take like you know six months to a year off. Aww. So it's kind of like. Like I, I, I was shocked to revisit me. Like, oh yeah, he turned face again. Mm. Oh yeah, and everyone kind of forgets it. Yeah, and he does come back. You know, he came back a few times in two thousand and two. I think it was actually right at the end of two thousand one when he came back. You saw the segment. It was the first thing I showed you, Rikishi, which was him making Vince McMahon kiss his ass oh, at yeah. the Rock's behest, and that was a fun time. It mm. was big crowd reaction yeah Vince McMahon being made to do anything he doesn't want to do is great and you know Rikishi's fucking full of energy he's yeah. bigger than ever big ass Vince's face literally gets squeezed right in between his cheeks it is, it is a spectacle to behold it is yeah well that kind of marked the moment for me and many fans where we realised that he was no longer the you know the badass who could take care of business in the ring and then he liked to have a bit of fun afterwards it was like Oh, Stephanie McMahon has arranged that Eric Bischoff has to kiss a sexy lesbian and it's a big lady in drag and it's Rikishi. Ah, do the stink face, you know? Yeah. It became more like he's the guy who comes out and does the dance and makes people go, yay. And then later in his, like the right at the tail end of his career, it was like, because he could take the bumps, you know, Brock Lesnar, when he first came on the scene, he was F5 and, you know, Rikishi. John Cena was doing the FU to Rikishi. They had like guys do power moves to him to be like, whoa, look how strong they are. God, yeah. And here's Rikishi now, 450. In a lot of pain. And he's been told now, please lose weight. You're you're getting injured. And he's like, fuck no, I'm not losing weight. Like fucking book me properly. So that was kind of like, you know, his, his, he left the company eventually in 2004. He had done some like more tag team stuff with Scotty Too Hottie. But like, when he left, he was a much, much smaller star yeah. than he would have been. You know, and, and unquestionably you can go it's the the car running over angle it just snuffed out all the fun bad timing with injuries meant then that we couldn't get back to when we once were can't put the toothpaste back in the tube you can't mm. unrun over Steve Austin once the black sedan has left the barn you can't close the door afterwards you know and that's really sad because I felt that he was he, had, he was a legend he deserved a bit of a better a better run of it and he yeah. just kind of faded into obscurity better a little send bit better send off for sure he had like a one month run in TNA where he left because of you know money difficulties and you know he popped up here and there on indies but like the nicest thing I think that he did with WWE was he got into the Hall of Fame he got to do a reunion show spot where he danced with Too Cool one last time in 2015 and I showed you a spot where it was him and the Usos got to all dance together yeah and that was cool. really good he could still fucking go yeah I was amazing so it was, it was nice that he got those little send offs and he got to go into the Hall of Fame and you know, he's one of those guys where that means a lot for him to be recognised by that company and all that so yeah, yeah even though the Usos can't dance that particularly well no <laughs> I've just I've loved every moment that they have referenced him and brought him brought him into the fold as being a like part of this kind of the bloodline the lineage i yeah. think there is still more they could do with that i'd love to see him like if they were going to do like a thing where they kick out paul Heyman from the 
the the table, as it were. With the men in suits come, it's him, Af, and Seeker just take him away. <laughs> just, yeah, because like you know, he's flipped and flopped with Brock Lesnar all this time, and it's you know, it's not very loyal of him. So you know, they could like they could test Paul Heyman. He fails the test, and then like yeah, Rikishi comes in. And he's like, "This is me now. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna be you know the." manager or the consultant or whatever to the annoy family and like you know not head of the table but right next to the head of the table the rikishi's the exact type of guy as an older dude who looks amazing with sunglasses and like a suit on him yeah. just stood looking cool in the background you know and i think i think that he is judging from the reaction from when he went into the hall of fame he's very fondly remembered by fans and i think that a lot of fans would even be surprised to know of his connection to you know, to the bloodline and to the current kind of top stars in wrestling. Mm. I think the Usos, like, pay homage to him every time they do, like, you know, corner hip attacks and the, the sidekicks and all that. Like, yeah, his was... style is, is is very much there, even though they're smaller dudes. It was so interesting seeing the, sh- the head shrinkers because it reminds me so much of modern day Usos. Yeah. Like, that kind of cool... Like, even though, you know, it's... The head shrinkers is a racist gimmick, and yet they still managed to find elements of it that were cool and not racist. Yeah, they modernized the wrestling. Yeah. So then that the Usos later on, they could, could take modernize. Take that and go, yeah, we're modernizing it again and making this our own thing. And it's just like, it's just, they took the cool badass bits from yeah. that and made it theirs. Don't turn the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, exactly. They made it contemporary for what they could do in the constraints of the time. And I think there's a lot to be said about this being the most successful wrestling family in terms of passing on the ethos, the mentality, the kind of, the, the DNA, what, what makes them, you know, part of this family. And you kind of see elements of all these different guys. And I yeah. think it's so exciting to think about the future. I've heard so much stuff about like, you know, the Usos brother, Jacob Fatu is another name who's like, apparently like once you see him, your mind will be fucking blown. It's, you know, it's, it's a fucking, it's a dynasty and then some, yeah. you know, and unlike a lot of other wrestling dynasties, it's an active dynasty yeah. that has past, present and future and all, at, all at the moment. So physically diverse as yeah. well, because I feel like, you know, the hearts, there's more of them, but they also kind of look the same. <laughs> yeah. Like, tell me the difference between Bruce and Keith Hart. I'm begging you, you someone can't. like, you know. Whereas like, you know, and even Owen and Brett, like they looked physically very similar you know one had blonde hair but like similar physiques and stuff and in lots of respects similar wrestling styles whereas like the annoy family is so even though they've got this core thread that bonds them they're so each one is so unique yeah like you you would not mistake roman reigns for rikishi for umaga for the rock for for, the usos but yeah they've all got their own thing that makes even though they're all cool like if that's one thing i could say about like all of them which is again that's weird you can't think of a wrestling family where every member is cool yeah and you rarely don't use the c word here on the show (laughs) but they are they are they're cool in all of their own different ways i love that roman didn't used to be cool he just used to be a pretty boy and he's kind of like he's toughened up now yeah it's just nice. I like it. It's, so, they're, they're a very cool family. It's nice though, isn't it? Because I think like Rikishi, we have, we've had a, had a nice time now looking at his career and looking at the highs, you know, and, and some of the lows as well. But it's nice that it's given us an appreciation for kind of a bigger thing in wrestling as well at the same time. The bloodline. The bloodline, exactly. So Rikishi may not be at the head of the table, but he's damn near sitting up right near the top because... He's one of my all-time faves, and I hazard a guess, Joe, that you've gotten on well with the big man today. Oh, absolutely! I yeah, Rikishi's. I've come away from this with a new favorite. I love him. Yes. 
Well, with that being said, let's have a look at some of your tweets for How to Rikishi. First up from Refs as Wizards. I'd never seen that kind of athleticism and speed from a guy his size before. He was my first taste of a wrestler being naturally super over with the fans, but then just booked poorly and kind of wasted. Could and should have eventually got his moment like a Mark Henry or a JBL. Weird hearing JBL be compared to Rikishi. I don't get that. <laughs> but I don't know anything about JBL, so... Well, well, more on that in a little bit. You, you always should stay tuned to the ends of these episodes, you know. You'll find out all sorts of things about how to wrestle. <laughs> Next up from Pierre Luc. Can you imagine how charismatic he was to make a crowd of men in the Attitude Era go wild to see men dance? <laughs> crowd. Attitude Era. Happy to see men dancing. <laughs> dancing male wrestlers almost never work. Hashtag the heart throbs. It made people lose their shit for dancing. <laughs> well, here's, here's, here it is. Like, I think you could, if you hate dancing and wrestling, you could probably blame Rikishi because Vincent Man still in the back of his mind remembers... You know, Madison Square Garden, all these fucking arenas sold out in the year 2000. Everyone fucking clapping their hands and just, yay, 10 minutes of dance and give it to me, you know? House shows as well, they would do extended dance bits and apparently yeah. it was like just people, people want to fucking run the ring and dance with them, you know? But you know what it is? It's people want to see people be good at what they do yeah. and Rikishi is really good at dancing. I would happily pay money just to see him do that because he's really good at it. <laughs> Next up from Max Power. Seemed like a prick. Refused to acknowledge Scotty and Christopher during his Hall of Fame speech, oh, despite yeah. riding their coattails using their gimmick to get over. Went to TNA, called Rude a jabroni and squashed him, then left because he demanded more money and refused to job. This was the only negative comment we got for Rikishi. No, honestly, I, I, I think that is worth bearing in mind because, you know, too cool. I think I should say, I've said it before and I will say again, getting their own episode, I don't think people thinking, oh, that's all I have to say about Too Cool or all I want to show Joe about Too Cool. Yeah, no, we, we, are, we are doing Too Cool. We'll talk about Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor in that episode. And like, it's interesting because they're a team who have been accused of another team in Memphis of stealing their shtick and their gimmick and all of that. I think saying that he rode their coattails, personally, I think that's an over-exaggeration because like, they were all in the fucking bottom of the barrel. You know, they were all the fucking superstars of WBF metal on Sunday mornings. Like, they weren't doing anything other than, you know, being jobbers. So I think the fact that they all kind of came up together and they all definitely, you know, benefited from each other. Yeah. But I think that's more of a symbiotic thing at the time. Yeah. But for me, I will tell you 100%, it was genuinely upsetting for me when I saw his Hall of Fame speech and he didn't acknowledge them at all like that's really at sad all, at all. Yeah. and there has been chat of like oh that they want to do a reunion at like an indie show and he so plays what? It takes he, two seconds he plays them. hardball because he wants money and there's always going to be issues with wrestlers who think they're big stars yeah. and tna at that time where he went in there you know he was one of many wwe guys i think of like uh test is another guy is just an example at the top of my head of guys who came over and didn't take that company seriously and looked down upon it and the people in it and you know, played hardball with money and were shown the door. Mm. I think the reality of it is, is that, you know, Robert Roode and other people who he didn't want to play ball with and do business with, they went on, they found their own place in wrestling. And I think that Rikishi, he's kind of wrestling adjacent now, it feels like. He's one of those legends who kind of has association with certain people, but I don't feel like he's kind of someone who's part of the fabric yeah. of the background of WWE and I think a big reason for that is is that he's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way really you think yourself as a star and you've been fucked around in fairness listen to what we've talked about the man has been fucked around plenty in his career mm. 
So yeah, I think that he has gained a negative reputation in that respect. And you know, not going to your kid's fucking wedding. Is That's gonna... so shit. That's so shit. I really hope there's a good reason he didn't go. I'm trying, in my head, I'm telling myself, look, we don't fucking know him. We don't know his life. We don't know what he's up to. There must be a good reason. Because like, he is... loves his kids. We know he loves his kids. And also with wrestlers and stuff like that, to go back to the two kill thing. Like, we're living in a day and age where, like, the two Dudley boys fucking hate each other. I know. You know? And it's like, there's so many times, you know, one, one of two killed, Brian Christie is no longer with us. And there's plenty of times where, like, wrestlers have fucking fallen out. Almost always happens, but after they've retired, because that's yeah. when the squabbles happen about who was, who was really over, who really worked for that team, who did this, who did that. And I think, yeah, he's guilty of that for sure. And I think, yeah, it, it would have been wrong of us not to bring up those, those parts of his career you know be oversimplifying and glamorizing if we didn't next up from stem boat society as a somewhat portly eight-year-old child i entered a dance contest at school and based my entire act on rikishi's two cool dance shades and ass smacks and all <laughs> i came dead last absolutely worth it fucking legend i would love to see a kid i mean that sounds creepy the ass smacking can stay at home <laughs> do that in your own time but the uh a kid doing the rikishi 2 cool dance i'd fucking love to see that yeah i would say at least 10 percent of all secondary school <laughs> talent shows yeah between the years 2000 2002 probably featured at least one two cool slash rikishi tribute in there somewhere for sure <laughs> for sure next from s mini hane 87 one of my faves growing up the fans were behind him and he was set for that next level the debacle of running down austin angle and it suddenly being changed to triple h seemed to ruin him a shame he could never seem to recover that same level face again yeah it is sad and it shows you that there are certain stories and there are certain angles that you just can't shake you know, I think that is the reality, you know, that, and particularly in WWE when you are often defined by your story and you're defined by, or your gimmick or whatever it is. And wrestling fans have short-term memories, but even if wrestling fans have the shortest-term memory in the world, there's something about the magic being gone once you, you, you make that decision. Yeah. You can't go back to it. And I think there's lots of wrestlers who they've done that where they've, like if Sami Zayn tried to go back and be NXT era Sami Zayn now, for instance, I think, oh Jesus, the magic is gone. You've yeah. lost, and it, you know that's why I think wrestlers who have that very forward-thinking mentality. And I mentioned Sami because he's like, I'll never do any of my old characters. You'll never see the three years ago version of me in three years' time because you have to keep changing because it has to be what you're doing now. And I think the Rikishi paid the price unfortunately of being a guy who had gimmick didn't work, gimmick didn't work, gimmick didn't work, gimmick didn't work, gimmick does work. And then we ruin it. And then, mm. no, let's go back and try and do that one again. No. And that's on the bookers and that's on him as a, as, a, as, a, as a wrestler as well. And you know what? I think part of it isn't just that, like, he had, you know, his character made a permanent change. I think it's also that time moves on. Mm. And as you were saying earlier in the episode, that, like, that obsession with young white men of rap culture and hip hop. Yeah. By the mid-2000s, it had kind of passed. That's true. Like, I remember I was saying to you, when you, I was trying to tell you like how important this was in the playground, and you were like, why we, like, why though? Like, what was it? And I was genuinely thinking, I was like, in the year 2000, in my first year of secondary school, the two pieces of media that genuinely united everyone was Snake on Nokia phones and, like, the debut album of Eminem. You yeah. know, that was kind of it. And that, that made a lot of white boys, you like, know, get into that 
spiel. Yeah, you know? 2004, 2005. It's it's all different at that point. New things have come and gone. It's it, you can't. That's when wrestling fans still like it, but the folks who are just like, oh, this is this thing that's in this wrestling show, yeah. they, they they stop paying attention because mm-hmm. they're on, they're on to the next trend. Yeah. you know, unfortunate. That's just the way trends work. Now from F Hell Tiger, Rikishi was the first wrestler I ever remember watching as a child. Something about seeing a large man dancing on Channel 4 on a Sunday morning made yes. a lifelong wrestling fan out of that six-year-old. Damn, yes. I knew that. I knew we'd get people like that. Damn straight. <laughs> you were not alone. <laughs> Finally, now from Sam Tomlin 539 one of my undisputed favourites growing up off the back of his run early 2000. Could have been just another generic WWF, WWE big boy, but he did stuff in the ring that was way more cool, agile and unique than a bloke his size had any right to be. Yeah, honestly, I think of the uh, the, the moves that Rikishi does and so many of them, you know, his Samoan drop, his sidekick, the fucking, those weird thrusts that he does when he moves his hands all around and goes, yeah. you know, there's... There's something really modern about it. It feels always so like something that is, I don't know, the, the, the types of things that he was hitting on, it feels like that is the basis of what a lot of wrestlers do now. Absolutely. Like the, the super kicks, the kind of high intensity, yeah. the loud noises when you make an impact, you know. What's really weird to me is that when I first started being a wrestling fan, when we first started doing this podcast, I don't think there were many, if any, fat male wrestlers on the roster bull dempsey on nxt barely Barely. come on like it seems insulting like well that that was the the idea of the gimmick i know that's that's what i mean though it's just like it's just it's just fiction isn't it like he wasn't even fat like it's just ugh. so um it was weird to me that like at that time when i first started becoming a wrestling fan it was a big thing in our circles of like you know where are the where are the big wrestling where are the guys? Where are the hosses? Where are the big fat guys who you know who get to do flips and stuff? And everyone was talking about Samoa Joe and like you know there is legend that there is this man on this other promotion who can do this stuff and is this size. And we were all talking about like yeah, WWE needs someone like that. How come they they don't have anyone? And it's like they did. They had Rikishi, mm-hmm. and he's actually like you know so modern and so much of the style that we see now with big fast wrestler guys big men slapping meat all over the shop like and yet he doesn't get i don't think you know as someone who didn't really know much about rikishi until we did this episode he doesn't get the reputation for that for being a big fast guy the way that samoa joe or keith lee or you know all these other modern cool guys you bring up keith lee and i think like he he honestly he really gives me those keith lee vibes of a man who understood that his size was a benefit because of his athleticism and keith lee much like rikishi was told lose weight because we want you to look a certain way and Rikishi battled that system for as long as he could and just you know injuries and stuff got the better of him Keith Lee went on to to better things you know we can safely say whatever he's doing now is better things but it's it's shocking though isn't it that in the 20 some years since then that there is actually probably it's almost worse now in WWE feels like there's less of a latitude for you to be a big dude because Rikishi at least was able to have a good four years mm. on and off because of injuries being a big man doing his thing on screen I feel like Jesus Christ if you're a big man in WWE you're going to be shown the door pretty quickly or told lose, lose the weight I'm just I'm just really shocked that Rikishi isn't remembered for being a big fast guy yeah like you know it's it's fine and good for, to remember all the great fun things that he did like the stink face and the dancing but like 
I didn't know until we did this episode that he was a big fast guy. I and really I really love that. I love that, big fast know? guys. Yeah, yeah. And like, how come like no one's just talking about that as like, you know, when we do talk about older wrestlers from years gone by, he never gets mentioned. He should be. He's one of those guys, and there's not many people on this list. I think last episode's a good example, Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. But he's one of these guys that because he has such a unique presence and a style putting him up with certain against certain wrestlers makes you kind of go ooh that would be an interesting pairing yeah. you know like Rikishi versus Kane is a match that I've seen and is fucking amazing and you can just think like you know you can put Rikishi with these different people from the time and go just because of who he is and the style he is and it's so unique it is immediately a really unique matchup yeah. you know and there's not you know that's that's the rest those are the wrestlers I always love the most because those are the wrestlers I'll type in you know Rikishi versus into YouTube to mm. see what comes up and just you know find something random to watch yeah he's always been that type of a guy for me but as we're winding up here now like you know Rikishi's a type of guy you're gonna want to see more of in future do you think yeah, absolutely. Especially if he dances. I'm always down for that. But like, I would like to see his matches as well, depending on who they're against. I'm less keen on the Val Venus shit. Like, <laughs> Rikishi versus Test. Or something. I don't need to see that. No, I may have misfired by showing you that match, but I've obviously done something right. If you've come away appreciating the man's fucking dancing, and fuck anyone who says that there's no place for dancing and wrestling. Oh my because God, there, there is. is. You just have to do it well. You've appreciated the thing that the fucking, the, the highbrow wrestling fan of me enjoys, which is the fact that the man can move fast, he can hit hard, and he's a badass in the ring. I'm yeah. so fucking happy. Thank you everyone for all of your tweets your match recommendations your stories your opinions your thoughts about Rikishi it's been a very positive episode and one we're very happy to bring to you and I say that because our next episode may be one of our most negative but possibly still joyful experiences ever on how to wrestling Joe it's time to step up to the bully pulpit and talk all about John Bradshaw Layfield the man who formed a protection agency was a hawk he was a demon and then became a Wall Street banker from Texas wait are we talking about The Undertaker? no we're talking about John Bradshaw Layfield JBL is our next episode and we are after your favourite matches stories accusations moments where he's beaten up and humiliated very important those ones really important because joe has recently realized that something you like is seeing people in wrestling who are legitimately bad in real life recognizing that they are bad and using that to give the audience a sense of closure when they get beaten up yes exactly so we're looking for lots of that don't worry him versus Eddie and him versus John Cena and I quit match are already on the table. We'll look at the whole career of the man. The man who is, at the very least, can be considered somewhat controversial. How to JBL is the hashtag. Don't forget to include it when you head over to our Twitter page at How to Wrestling or Facebook.com forward slash How to Wrestling. There'll be posts up there. Let us know your thoughts about JBL matches, promos, thoughts because he's a guy who I've had many different opinions on over the years and just kind of trying to actually come to some sort of a conclusion about the man I think it's going to be interesting he's a commentator as well so let's talk about him as a commentator and the run that he's had in WWE in recent years as a spokesman of sorts I want to hear about him as a financial guru a self-made millionaire on the stock markets Joe another thing I want as well is shoot interviews from wrestlers we've done episodes on against JBL and calling him a piece of shit 
Yeah, because there's a, a long list of shit this man has done and allegedly done that will I make wanna, your head spin. I want to see him called out. Well, we're going to maybe have to look at him with the blue meanie as well. God, we're going to have to really be careful. This, this is going to be the longest episode ever if we're going to go through all of these moments of him being a piece of crap and getting reprimanded for us. Destroy this man's career. Oh, well, I mean, as a man, as a guy who once did a goose step in Germany and did a Hitler salute at the same time, he's plenty good at doing that himself, Wow. I, I cannot, I cannot. I'm so excited to show the artwork for this. It's my favourite artwork, I think we've ever had so you can find that so, over at howtowrestling.com your home for all information about past and upcoming episodes and hey if you enjoy the show and you want to support us don't forget patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling there's a reason our nice long form podcasts are not broken up by ads every two seconds because we're 100% fan and listener supported and would you believe it Joe we've only went and added another beautiful side series as well as over a hundred episodes of pay-per-view reviews from WWE, AEW, NXT you've got our pay-per-view classic series where Joe sets briefs and we review the classic pay-per-views including Survivor Series 1998, WrestleMania 17, World Bodybuilding Federation, Halloween Havoc 1995. I think it's going to have to be WrestleMania 9 soon. I think that's got to be coming the up The car there. park show. The car park show. You like the look of that car park show? Yeah. I think you're going to enjoy, well, maybe you won't enjoy the main event, but, <laughs> but we just started reviewing Roads to the Top. We started it the week before WrestleMania, and we've continued through. There are three episodes available now. All this is available and loads more. You've become a $5 backer over on patreon.com forward slash howty wrestling but until next time we're going to get in our white limousines and saddle up for a long drive from new york to texas it's a goodbye from me kevin and a goodbye from me joe and we'll see you next time on howty wrestling see ya Rah.